Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Tonight is Shear Program 136. And tonight we have a topic that we've never covered, and it's a very important topic. And we brought out the best of the best over here with us tonight to really try to get a, a, a handle on it and try to get some guidance. So again, I always every week start off every week thanking everybody who comes on every week for promoting it on their statuses and emailing it to friends and family and letting people know about it. Like I say, specifically, it's even this week, you know, you never know when you post it who you're reaching out to and who knows about it, who could use the help. So please, whether you, whether it's for you or not for you, always post it, let people know about it, and try to join every week. It's a sichas chaverim, it's a place we could talk things out and try to get some clarity. And uh, if anybody wants to get the flyers every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. And you could send me a message, and every Sunday morning I'll send you the, the flyers with who's coming on that week, or you can go to menachemburnfeld.com to his website, sign up to get the weekly emails. He sends out the emails on Sunday who's coming on, he sends out the replays and any other important messages, please join us. Anybody who's watching the replay of this video on YouTube, you can click on the subscribe button. So every uh, time we have a, a share Sunday night, Monday morning, 2.45 a.m., Menachem posts it, you get a ding, you can know about it, you can click on the like button so me and Menachem could make millions of dollars from all the YouTube clicks that we get, and we could retire and be richer than Rob, that's the goal. And uh, thank you to all our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood School here in Lakewood for promoting us here in Lakewood, Elliot Ariel from Five Town Central, a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman from JCN, from the Jewish Contact Network, for always promoting us, of course, all the Jewish digital platforms. The Coach Menachem Show is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the place for any Jew to find top-notch therapists, coach, nutritionists. OKClarity professionals are vetted and extensive experience working with the Jewish community. You can even find Coach Menachem Burnfield there. The world-famous Coach Menachem is there. Um, so if you're looking for therapists, you can go there. You can also WhatsApp them at 917-426-1495. You can follow their statuses. And Menachem will send out the links after the program. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, we'll do this, this program, 136. I think next week, is it next? No, in two weeks, it will be the three-year anniversary from when we started this. Started right when, right when COVID started the first week. So it's literally going to be three, uh, three years coming up. Um, so please join us every Sunday night. We have unbelievable therapists, Rabbanim, the best of the best we bring out, especially Rob. Rob, we brought out our cannon guns tonight. So we'll get there in a minute. Um, next week, we're going to have a special guest, March 19th. It's going to be an amazing show with Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld. comes originally from England. He has a big yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. He's a Russian yeshiva of Beis David. He inspires a lot of Bachrim and boys from around the world. He's an amazing person. I got to spend some time with him. And the topic will be Ignite the Spark of Judaism, not living robotic and starting to think for ourselves. How to get us and our children excited and happy with the life we have. That's the topic. Um, he's, a, he's a very uh, inspirational speaker, an amazing person. So please all join us next week. It should be amazing and very uplifting. Tonight, we are honored to have with us Robert J. Bernstein as a guest speaker together, who is a world-renowned speaker on autism for over 30 years. He's written books on the topics. He has unique perspectives. And he's joining together with Nachum, um, his pupil, his Talmud. And together, we're going to hopefully find some, some valuable insights on this whole autism thing. And hopefully, it'll help a lot of people. We're going to get into that in a minute. Tonight's program is Shear 136, and the Gematria, Rob, the Gematria, which means the numeric value of 136, Menachem is going to give it over. What does it mean? 
Matriya 136. This is special from Aranoyach. You shall have a Shalema. Me'amoyach ve'halev. From the moyach, from the, the, the mind, till the lave. Sometimes there's a disconnect to understand, to understand what's going on. Not only a child, sometimes a spouse. And tonight, hopefully, we'll be able to figure out how to communicate so that the moyach and the lave can work together. Beautiful. Okay, Coach Menachem, open it up. What are we talking about tonight? What we're trying to cover? What are we all doing here tonight? Thank you very much. Okay, welcome everyone to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem, Bar Hashem, with a lot of Siyata Dishmaya. We're up to 136. And I hope everyone had a beautiful and a Freilich and Purim, wherever they were and whatever was happening. And now we are getting ready for Pesach. Everybody with their things, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, tonight we're going to be discussing, we have with us Hosha guest, Robert Bernstein with Nachum Manasov, talking about autism. And then we have spectrum that makes it much more, you know, much more to talk about. But the truth is every, communication can be to, to be, to have effective communication is, is a skill. And not only for somebody who has autism, regular people, Sometimes people just don't get don't get each other. They don't understand what A is saying to B. B doesn't understand A. Forget about autism. Just to be able to communicate. And especially if it comes to autism, to be able to understand what they're saying, what to say, how to answer back, to have effective communication is, is a real challenge. Now, if you're talking about in a case where it's clear that the person has autism, Obviously, it's not easy. It's hard. It's a challenge. Yes, you have to learn the skills. But at least it's clear. You know who you're dealing with. So you go get the help that you need. But then there are those who you manage to talk to them. Let's say your child, as you manage with all the other kids. It's child number five, number six. And you're, you're being bechanach. You're educating the child the same way. But for some reason, you feel like there's a disconnect. You're not sure what it is. Something is not clicking. Something is not quite right. And over there, that can be a challenge. Now, for many parents or the teacher in the classroom, they might think, you know what? With this child, we got to be a little bit more stricter or firm. I'll use a firm voice. Maybe I'll... Tell them, look in my eyes. Do you hear what I'm saying? We don't realize, we think we're helping, but if you don't know what we're doing, it can just backfire. It, it, it just doesn't work. And then you're at, at a loss. You're not sure what to do. So here we are tonight to discuss that, to discuss, first of all, what, what are some skills, what are things that we can use, whether the child is young or you're dealing with a spouse that's older. And before we go to start the program, I really believe, and we'll see what uh, Robert Anachum says about this, that what, what we're going to be discussing tonight is not only for autistic people. This is just to, to understand and to be able to communicate with a child. You're talking about a child who's just starting communication. Not always does a child understand what they want, what they're feeling. They can't express it. 
So many of these skills, I'm sure you'll be able to use just by regular children to be able to bring them, you know, to help them understand themselves. So thank you, Rob, to be with us tonight, Anachem, and together in Mitzvah Shem, with the with the Rav and the Talmud, we'll be able to knock out so many uh, ideas and everybody should be able to be able to take things that they can use in their life in Mitzvah Shem. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for a beautiful opening. Um, okay, so again, the topic tonight is understanding the misunderstood. Ah, Nachum, you love that. Helping your loved one on the autism spectrum. Okay, we're going to start first with Nachum with an opening. I'm going to read your bio. Nachum Mansel, M-S-E-D-B-C-B-A, and a lot of other letters. Received his master's degree in applied behavior analysis from the University of Cincinnati in 2019 and his BCBA certification in 2020. He also received a New Jersey State Standard Teaching License in 2015. Since 2010, Nachum Mansel has provided education and behavioral therapies for children and adolescents in Lakewood, New Jersey. Nachum will be writing a new weekly column in the Lakewood Voice, and uh, he'll tell us more about it. But Rav Nachum, the floor is yours. Please open it up. Okay, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Coach Menachem or Busher. Um, it's a real honor that you invited me uh, to this program and you're having Rob. Um, you know, there's, and you know, thank you to all the listeners, so many people tuning in. And also, it's an honor for me to be sharing the forum together with Rob because Rob was, you know, in this field from even before I was born. So, you know, if I could be on the same floor as Rob, that's an honor for me. So, um, you know, talking about the title, Reb Usher, that you said, um, Understanding the Misunderstood. So I think it's such a beautiful title because it really, I think, it really uh, makes the point of the key to what we really need for these, for this, for these children or adults, whoever we're dealing with, those on the autism spectrum or have autism. You know, a lot of the issue is that they're not being properly understood. And this is actually what causes a lot of the issues that come up. Because if you just think about it, you know, someone that's born or they have certain challenges develop, developing with um, communicating with other people, socializing with other people, they just don't get how, you know, how the regular social world works and other people don't necessarily get them. And then there's that disconnect. And then just for them, you know, as life continues, it's just there's trauma. People aren't understanding them. They're not getting their needs met. They can't function. They can't do what they want. And coming along together with the with the um, autism is a lot of this trauma and they feel like people don't understand them, nobody understands them. So a lot of what, you know, what I'm dealing with, what I work with in Rob, besides for trying to help them, you know, improve with their actual, you know, communication, their actual, you know, skills that they that they might need help with, just overcoming that, that they should feel understood, they should feel someone actually understands them. That's really the key. And if, to me, you know, one of the driving things where I think like the most important thing why we want to have this presentation is just to bring more awareness to this idea. Somebody's going to come away from tonight's um, talk and, you know, realize this, that we need to have more understanding for these um, children. We need to understand what they're going through, how to connect with them instead of just um, like, um, like Coach Menachem said, instead of just like trying to get them to behave, get them to do what we think they should be doing, if we'll actually try to understand them, just that greater awareness is tremendous. And I think everything is worth it if we could bring more awareness to that point. So um, what got me into this, what got me connected with Rob was, um, you know, I started working with the autism population. My first experience was 
I joined, um, I was asked to join a group of boys, high school boys, they, had, they, had, they, were, autistic, they were autistic. And I was asked to, um, you know, to join them for a day, be like their sub, you know, work with them. And I was talking to these boys and one of these boys started telling me, you know, he just started talking to me. He was a quieter, sweet boy. He tells me like, there's so much pressure. Everything's pressure. I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, the teacher wants me to do stuff. The, you know, the therapist want me to do stuff. And he's like, and he's already in high school. He's saying already, you know, my elementary school years, it's all pressure. And, you know, you know, I'm not judging whoever's working with him, but at least in this child's mind, he's under tremendous pressure. He's not feeling like, you know, he could enjoy life. He could connect. He could grow. He could succeed. To him, everything's just about pressure, pressure, pressure. And that struck me as like, are we really, you know, maybe we have some beautiful teaching methods to help these kids, but are we actually tapping in and understanding them and giving them what they need? So, and, you know, this is my first experience and, you know, more experiences meeting with these kind of children, I realized that maybe we're missing something working with these kids. And, um, you know, a few years ago, my mother, she recommended I should get this book. The book is called Uniquely Normal, and it was by, written by Robert J. Bernstein, and my mother's friends with his wife, so she, you know, she said, I, you know, my, 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 my friend, her husband, he's written a whole book about autism, and she told me to get the book, so I got the book, I opened it up, and it's exactly the point that, you know, what I was concerned about, he addresses that so amazingly, so beautifully, that, um, you know, I felt that I need to reach out to him, I need to get more training um, in his approach. He also has a beautiful approach, how to really work with these kids, how to really help them grow and develop. So I reached out to Rob Bernstein, and, you know, he was, you know, he's very gracious to train me and to give me this ongoing, really um, ongoing training, a lot of focus. We met every week for, this was going for at least two years, and, you know, we discussed, you know, boys that I'm working with, we collaborated, he gave me the guidance. Um, and I feel like I got a lot, tremendous amount from it. And just to give a little um, idea, some kind of little presentation of, you know, how helpful was this in our work, working with these kids, I would ask, um, I'm going to describe, we worked on a little um, research study. This was, um, this was Rob Bernstein's idea. You know, I followed up with it. We developed, we wanted to sort of get an idea working with these kids, like how successful are we with these kids? You know, are we just helping them with one specific specific behavior, you know, one specific setting? Like, is the kid talking less, let's say during the morning class, but we don't know anything about the afternoon class. Maybe he's a total disaster in the afternoon class. We wanted to try to get information to get an idea of overall, is the child actually growing? Is he actually improving? And it's hard to get accurate data, but the way we tried to get some kind of sense of if we're making progress is we developed this questionnaire to ask the parents um, before I worked with the, started working with the child. Um, so my work with the child, just to give a little background, I'm the BCBA, which means that I would supervise other therapists working with the child. Sometimes I would spend time myself with the child. Sometimes it would be the, sometimes it would be the, um, you know, be another therapist working with the child. And um, so we we so we did this questionnaire. You know, we asked the parents to rate their child different areas of difficulty. We had thirteen questions, and the parents would you know give a rating. Was the child having difficulty, let's say, at home? You know, listening to the parents, getting along with siblings. Was he having difficulty at school, academic? 
making friends? Is he having trouble with um, back and forth conversation, expressing his needs? And the parents would give a rating. Either they would say there was no difficulty at all, a little difficulty, somewhat, or a lot. So we did this. We, we were able to complete the study with 15 of the boys. And um, this was going for these boys are set between seven and 14 years old. We did this questionnaire either it was six months or 12 months after the initial questionnaire. And I would ask you, um, Rabasha, if you could just put up on the screen the chart just to give a highlight of the results. Okay, so this is just, um, you know, from the 13 areas that we measured, the blue is the areas that the parents reported progress. The red is the areas that they reported that things got worse. Now, since it's very, um, it's very subjective, these questions, sometimes the parents could initially say, no, he has no issue with this at all. And then the next time I ask the questionnaire, they say, oh yeah, actually he has a hard time with expressing himself and then they'll give him a, a lower score. But overall, you know, just getting an idea of looking at the data, this would seem pretty significant that we are actually, um, for the 15 boys, um, we were actually sh showing um, that there was overall improvement, you know, in the general, taking the child as a whole, that there was an overall progress from where he was initially to after working and implementing Rob Bernstein's approach. Um, and, you know, and, and besides for that, there was a lot of anecdotal reports of progress. You know, there were the Rebbeim saying that they were seeing progress. There were teachers saying there was um, the parents were saying in different ways. They saw he's getting better at this, getting better at that. Some boys, the friends would say, oh, yeah, he's not like what he used to be. So this is just, um, you know, hopefully some little snapshot of using Rob Bernstein's approach for the boys that I worked with in Lakewood and the kind of successes that, you know, using this kind of approach could, could help. Okay, should I have luck with that opening? Want to go to Rob now? Rob, I'm gonna read your bio, is that okay? Go for it. Okay, here we go. Robert Bern uh, Bernstein has developed his cognitive-based approach for more than 30 years, starting with his Hask summer program in Parksville, New York. He's seen thousands of clients. He speaks internationally, runs webinars, and has a podcast, Uniquely Normal, a Robert Bernstein podcast. Rob serves on the board of Westchester ARC. Rob Bernstein has a child and a brother on the autism spectrum who are both highlighted along 27 other case st stories in his award-winning book, Uniquely Normal, Tapping the Re Reservoir of Normalcy to Treat Autism. His latest book, The Uniquely Normal Manual, Using the Bernstein Cognitive Method for Autism. Robert, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for giving us your time and your wisdom. Please take over. Th thank you so much. I am honored, Rev Usher and Coach Menachem. Very honored for uh, the invitation of being here. Um, I, I love the turnout. And um, I'll tell you, when I'm speaking to a group of 50 people, I will go over to every person before talking, before giving my talk and ask them, why are they here? Because many people who come to my talks only care about their own kid or their loved one or their student. I wanna know why they came so I could give my talk to those people. Say so three or four grandparents say, oh, my grandson, the early, he doesn't talk. He doesn't. All right, I'm going, I'm going to talk about early language or jobs or, friendships or right so so hearing from you guys is the really the most important thing but you mentioned that I worked at Hask and it reminded me it just happened a few days ago 
for decades, and you don't have to believe any of this, but for decades, people are telling me only you could do what you're doing. It's intuitive. And I, I just really bothered me because at Hask, I teach people and I, you know, I teach people my method and it's like, it's intuitive. And then a person who, who's smarter than me, I'm just being honest, who's smarter than me told me, you know what they don't understand? The people who think you're intuitive, you're doing something that, and I didn't even kind of realize it, that they aren't getting. And that is when I see people on the spectrum, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I'm. 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 It's. 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 Uh, it's. It's amazing understanding another mind, and it reminds me of Hass. You mentioned Hass. This reminds me of the story. Um, I was a teacher at Hass. I don't know if you know Hass, Hebrew Academy for Special Children. It's in Liberty. Some of you know it, right? Um, so this kid um, climbs up as the the steps to a slide. Right? He climbs up and he's kind of looking around like he's lost. And I, you know, I drove home, you know, the council's there 24 hours a day. I drive home that day and I'm going, why doesn't he slide down? Why doesn't he go, who walks up the slide and doesn't go down? I don't get it. And it just really bothered me. And I kept thinking and thinking and thinking. And he said, ah, maybe. Maybe, and this is part of my approach, I come up with a theory. Maybe if there were, instead of 20, you know, 15 steps, if there were 100 steps, he would keep going, keep going, keep going. I thought, I mean, knowing this kid, he would just, you know, I know you know the word perseveration or obsession, but I, my idea was that, that he was just obsessive about going up going he, he didn't have the idea of going down, just up going, walking, walking, walking. So as I'm writing this book, it's in my, one, this is one of the stories of my book, um, Uniquely Normal. I'm writing this book like a few years ago and I call Yaakov Wedline, who is, this kid's name is Yitzi. Yitzi's, you know, counselor. We're going back literally 40 years, 35 years from the time. And, and yeah, I, I call him, he's in Israel, Yaakov. And he says, I asked him, am I right in recalling that he's had this perseverance problem and we talked about eating food? He says, you're not going to believe this. I said, did he eat all the peas first and then the potatoes? He said, as if it were yesterday, not only did he eat all the peas in his, on his dish, but he ate all the peas on everyone else's dish. So this idea of perseveration, wow, now I got him. Now we could do something about it. So just this idea of instead of saying you're wrong, instead of judging these kids, instead of saying, I'm gonna find a way for you to come down, I'm gonna give her, you a reward for you to come down the slide because it's our idea, it's our agenda. Just start with the idea of like, this is amazing. Like what's going on here? And if you do, <laughs> and I realize I kind of do that with every kid. I see I have that totally open mind if you want to call an open line to like wow let's see how this mind works so that's one thing i want to bring up and the other maybe one or two things is part of my philosophy my approach is that we want to follow the child follow his lead that's the first line in the manual book here follow the kid's lead and then maybe change something let me give you an example 
um, the kid wants you to join them. So you're bonding with the you want you know you're joining the ch your child, your loved one, your student, and let's just say you the kid wants you to run with him. So you're running around the track, you're running with him. Fine, you're right. You know, so you have this. It's a safe environment because you're accepting total acceptance. And then what comes along with that is that, like I said before in the other example, there's no agenda. You don't have a agenda in mind. You're going along with the kid. But then you do something where you want to elicit something from the child. So let's just say you're tired. You may believe you're just really exhausted. Now, the kid just could keep on running. All right. You're not you know, judging whether the kid, whatever the kid does, the kid might say, um, oh, come on, dad, let's run. Okay, now, now he's eliciting language. That might be one of the goals. Now he's interacting. Now he's recognizing you and your needs, right? And, I mean, these ideas are going to be familiar with people who work with kids on the spectrum. Maybe the kid will say, you know, dad, we should go back. You're so tired. You're trying to elicit relationship, language, whatever you no, and you already know this. Whatever you think or you know what the kid needs, you could do this with a look, look at what we're doing. You're following his lead and you're kind of adding something in that flow. So now the kid's responding to something real at the time and you're allowing the child the opportunity to say something, do something. Think of eliciting language like that as opposed to hang, holding up a uh, one of these flashcards and says, say house, say dog. Do you see what I'm talking about? There's no meaning here. But what I'm saying, it's real. It's real life. The situation will dictate the progress. And look, that's how we learned. That's how we learned to talk. We didn't learn to talk by saying, say, mm, ah, mm, e, mommy. No, we, there were real situations. And that's how, what we want to present to these kids, real situations, but it has to be deliberate. It has to be methodical. And that's where my, my approach comes in. Um, I'll say one more thing about my approach, that it's a cognitive approach. What does that mean? Um, let's say I ask, and people could, could answer this question or not, I don't care, but think of it. Just, I'm gonna ask you a question. What's the idea behind counting? Now, some of you will probably start thinking. You shouldn't have to think. Yeah, you know why you're thinking what's the idea behind counting? What do you, you know, you're trying to think of the answer? Because you weren't taught from the idea. You weren't taught the idea. You, you figured it out on your own. I don't need to know the idea behind counting. That's stupid. I know the idea. You know, some of our kids don't know the idea behind counting. They're very literal. A six-year-old, 10-year-old, the parents say he can count to 120. But he, does he have the idea of counting? Otherwise, it's just wrote, right? If it's just wrote, it's literally meaningless. So what is the idea behind counting? It's an, it's, I think it's an interesting question, but it, it signifies my cognitive approach because I want to speak from ideas rather than just wrote kind of language, wrote kind of thinking. My idea of counting is um, that when you're counting one, two, three, four, four is one more than three. Okay, these, 
See, these kids might have to learn that. So if you're not teaching cognitively or by the ideas and just teaching behaviorally from the behavior, then the kid will, you'll get a check, but oh, the kid could count to 10. I'm saying, wait a second. If he doesn't know five is one more than four and three is one less than four, he doesn't understand. He does not understand the idea of counting. Now, I'm going to tell you something that um, I don't think you mind me sharing some of my secrets with you. Because it's all it's I, 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 it's all original stuff. If you've done this before, I'm going to be really angry at you because then you stole it from me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, look, how many pennies? The kid counts four pennies. You go like this. I'm adding this penny, right? Now, Henny, how many pennies? Right? What is the kid going to do? If the kid might say five because he has four or five. Right? But what some kids do, I'll, I'll do the subtraction. I think it's, you start with that and then you go like this, four pennies, right? The kid could, and you take one away. I like this example better. You take one away, how many pennies? You have to try this because most of the kids that I do it with, that I'm questioning if they have this idea of counting, even though they can count, you know what they say? What do they say? Anyone have an idea of what they say? Four pennies, one, two, three, four. How many pennies? Four. I'm taking, you know, there's one away. They can see that. Now, how many pennies? Do you know what they say? Anyone want to guess? Nobody? 226 people, no one has an idea what they're going to say? See, I think all these people without pictures are not even listening to me. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep talking then. What a lot of kids will say, and you have to do this because it's fun. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be doing this for more than 35 years saying thousands of people wasn't fun, weren't fun. What, the, what a kid would say, if he doesn't understand the concept, he would say, open your hand, let me count. He doesn't have the idea that four take, take away one is three. I've done this hundreds of times. It's a great, it's, it's great, it's easy, it's fun. And then when the kid says, open your hand, you know that, the, that he does not have the concept for take away one is three. Now, let me just say this last thing about the cognitive idea. Uh, in order to understand count, adding or counting, you have to understand one, what's one less or takeaway. You can't understand, the concept has to be reversible. You can't understand turning on a vacuum cleaner without understanding how to turn it off, right? Hot, cold. I mean, isn't that the truth? That you have to understand the reverse. This is from Piaget. I didn't make this up. So, um, so when teachers teach addition, and it's still going on for decades. Oh, we, I teach them to add the numbers up to 20, and then we do subtraction. I'm screaming. You know why that's been working? I'm just going to be honest. Why that? Why people get away with that? Because the students fill in. We all fill in with that. Whether it's counting in addition, we fill in what I'm just going to say. We we kind of figure this out. These kids on the spectrum, a lot of times they don't figure it out. They have to be taught. So if you're adding three plus one is four, and if you don't take that four, take away one is three. If you don't do that at the same time, you're not teaching addition. 
you have to teach, teach subtraction in order to understand addition. I'm only saying this is because it's, it's part of this cognitive, examples of a cognitive approach that it's the idea behind the behavior. It's the idea behind adding. You have to understand subtracting. So it'll come up. I think it'll come up in some of our questions, my idea, my philosophy, my approach. So I just wanted to give you that background. Robert, beautiful opening. Everybody was typing five, by the way. I got five, five, five. People can't, they can't talk. Everybody's muted so that we can answer. But um, okay, we're going to take a, a poll. We have tonight for the first time ever five question polls. So the poll should take about an hour. And then when we're done with that, we will get the questions. A lot of questions came in. Some people want to ask live. Again, live questions go first. You have the experts over here. So please take advantage of them. They want you to share. They want you to ask their questions. They want to try to help you. And you know your questions probably, probably can relate to a lot of other people. So by asking, you are helping other people. Let's go with the polls and let's see what everybody has to say, okay? This is five big polls. Here we go. Answer to the best of your ability. Which therapy or intervention has been the most effective for your child with autism? Three options. Applied behavior analysis, ABA therapy. Option B, speech therapy. Option C, floor time, DIR, right? That's what it's called. So from those three, which one do you find the most effective with your child with autism? If anybody doesn't have a child with autism, you could skip the question. Number two, which area of your child's development do you feel needs the most support currently? Communication skills, social skills, or sensory processing skills? From, so from those three, which would be the most prevalent topic for, for support right now? Third question. This is a general question. What type of resources would be most helpful to you as a parent of a child with autism? Three options. Support groups for parents. You feel there's not enough support groups. Two, access to information and educational materials. Or option three, financial assistance for therapy and interventions. Next question, number four. Have you seen your child's progress in the development since receiving therapy or interventions for autism? I'm sorry, have, how have you seen your child's progress? Like since they started getting going to therapy or different type of interventions, have you seen a significant improvement in skills? B, some improvement, but still struggling in certain areas. Or option C, no noticeable improvement yet. And the fifth question, which should have been maybe the first question, do you have someone in your family who is on the autism spectrum? Three options, four options. A child, a spouse. Yes, but not in my inner family circle, like a cousin, a nephew, a neighbor, not like your immediate family. You, you know somebody, but it's not in your circles. Or option four, no, I'm just here to learn. So please read the questions over. Take your time. We're going to give it a few seconds. You know what I mean? And then we will uh, share it with everybody. And then I'll read all the results. Rob, you can comment on it. And people want to ask live. Um, somebody said they're autistic. How do they answer the last question? So I guess you don't answer the question. It's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. Sorry. The polls are thought of by me. So I'm not so good. I take blame. Somebody said that they're, they're an ABA therapist and they're here to learn how to work more efficiently with the children I work with. Very interesting. Okay, we're going to give another few seconds. Take your time. Rob, so far, how are you enjoying? You having a good time? I'm having a great time. Okay, that's the main thing. Why not? Baruch Hashem. I'll Baruch throw Hashem. that. I just threw that in, but that's, you know. 
What does it mean? <laughs> well, if you don't know, there's a, we have a problem. How many how many coins am I holding? <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm going to end the results now. Okay, most people voted. Here we go. Rob, these are the answers that people said. You ready? I'm going to read it quickly because it's a lot, and then we'll we'll review it together. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me share it. There we go. Sorry. Okay, which therapy or intervention has been the most effective for your child with autism? 54% of the people believe ABA has been the most helpful, while 28% of the people feel speech therapy, and 18% say floor time. So it seems like the winner by far is ABA therapy. Which area of your child's development do you feel needs the most support currently? So we have over here 38% communication skills, 49% social skills. So the winning answer is social skills followed by communication skills. Only 13% say sensory. Number three, what types of resources would be the most helpful to your parent, to you as a parent of a child with autism? 70% say support groups. 35% said access to information and educational materials, and 48% people feel financial assistance for therapy and interventions. So definitely money is a uh, the winning answer over here. I think money is just a general winning answer. I need money for everything, but uh, it seems like, especially with this, it's, it's very important. Number four, how have you seen your child's progress in the development since receiving therapy or interventions for autism? Rob was very interested in this poll, and 24% say significant improvement in skills, 63%. By far, some improvement, but still struggling in certain areas. 13% see no noticeable improvements yet. Do you have someone in your family who is on the autism spectrum? 56% of the people here tonight that voted said yes, their child. Only 1% said a spouse. 20% said yes, but not in the inner family circles, more like a cousin, nephew, or neighbor. 23% of people are here just to learn. So those are the polls. Robert, if you want to share anything on them or you find them interesting, any comments before we go to the questions? Well, I just comment that to me that the most significant thing is who, 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 who I'm, who's out there. And, and, and um, it's mostly parents. And then somebody said something very significant is that is, well, why was it, I'm on the spectrum. So I'd be curious to know how many people there who are, you know, diagnoses autism uh, themselves. Um, but no, it, it looks like for the most part, they're parents. And um, the idea that there's some improvement, I'd be curious what they're struggling with. I mean, I'm here to help people. You know, if things are going great and you're happy, then great. Um, but, um, but if you're struggling or if your kid is struggling with something, then I'm I'm here to help, you know, whether it's language or, or anything else. Um, and, uh, and, and ABA is the prominent, it, it's insurable, it's prominent. It's, it, I bet some people never heard of floor time or DIR. Um, and um, it's interesting how speech therapy is not as effective as you would want to want to, isn't that the idea of speech therapy is help your kid to speak and there are probably it's speech therapy for the most part has has not reached up to really what I think it should be in general. I can I can say that. Um, social skills to me that's you know if it is a I think I think of friendship. You know, if there's a question about friendship, 
you know, we should talk about social skills and friendship. That may be the first thing, if I were to, to address it in detail, I might talk about friendship. So I'll leave it up to uh, you guys to take it from here. Okay, let's get to some questions. If somebody wants to ask live, let me see if he's ready. You want to unmute? Let's give it a second. Now we'll jump into a lot of questions. Okay, let's go to her first. Hi, sorry, you'll go first. Oh, thank you for the honor. Um, I was just wondering though, um, what about families with, this is my experience and observation, I may see families who have more than one child that might be on the spectrum of the parents, well, the parents themselves might be, could that, could that interfere or would that affect in some way the, the therapy or the outcome? I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's be quite, a, I mean, I would say a burden, but uh, you know, if the parents themselves might even have trouble um, understanding or getting across to the child, understanding what the child needs, uh, you know, they themselves may not be able to communicate well. And I don't know if it's, you know, it can be almost like the blind leading the blind in a way. I, I, I don't know if you come across that experience. So, so you're saying you've a couple of kids on the spectrum, and also the parents on the spectrum. Yes, yeah, or not, not, I mean, not not everyone, but I mean, I'm just talking various situations. There might be more than one child because I think there is a hereditary base to it. That's what I've heard. I recently heard someone speak who's autistic, and he, uh, you know, yeah. high functioning, obviously, but, but saying that the, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you can have the the, the I. I Ironically, he ended up with a son who's severely autistic. So I'm just wondering if the, that could be a problem there or the parents themselves might, might be a little bit on the spectrum or there's another child with, you know, you know, with a problem, you know, with a, either on the spectrum or some other disorder. Well, I'll, I'll say this, that if you have two kids, both of them are on the spectrum, they're gonna be in, probably entirely different. Mm -hmm. Right, if there's, you know, uh, one of the sayings that my, my friend coined, if you know one autistic kid, you know one autistic kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So yes, it's gonna be more of a burden, but they're gonna be different. Someone will have much more language than the other and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. Siblings, I'll just talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Kids with other kids, siblings, it's probably the most underrated idea in the autism world. There's a person, Jeannie Safer, wrote a great book called The Normal One. In other words, the kid who's not autistic or not disabled yeah. has tremendous problems being with a brother or sister yeah. who is, you know, disabled or on the spectrum. Yeah, sadly, they're overlooked. Yeah. yeah. I love working with siblings. Let me tell you something that is mm -hmm. from my experience. Every single sibling, let's just say it's a autistic sibling and mm -hmm. typical sibling to the moment. Mm -hmm. Every single sibling of an autistic mm -hmm. kid has told me the same thing. They ask the same question. And the one question is, how can I help my brother? How can I help my sister? They want it, it's their, right? They mm -hmm. want to know what to do. 99% of the time, 
they don't know what to do and they're not told what to do and how to do it because half the time the parents, right? The te- you know, people don't know what to do. That's mm-hmm. my job, right? To know what to do with, with these kids. But it's so important. It's I, I spend so much time with the siblings. Uh, every week I spend so much time with the siblings because they could do what you can't do, that I can't do, that the parents can't do. Mm-hmm. So, and, and if they could get the idea of having this kid that I'm thinking of elicit language and how to do that. And, mm-hmm. and instead of, and I'll say this, the norm is that these typical siblings, the typical kids go further and further, they give up, mm-hmm. they give up. They go further and further away from these kids. In fact, right before my first book got published, I mean, literally like a, like a week, like it went, it's going for, for print already. And I met this kid going to college, right? And he had an Asperger, you know, brother. And I told him what he could do to make an enormous difference with his brother. And he said, um, you know, I wish I knew this when I was four years old, because the reason I'm going to college away to Albany, the state mm-hmm. university, is to just get away from my brother. I just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. The kid's so demanding. He's so needy. He's so this. Mm-hmm. And now that I know what to do, I almost don't feel like going. And within one year, he comes, he comes back home. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it's such an, 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 I'll say this a number of times, but it may be the, one of the most important things to do, these, this idea mm-hmm. of symptoms. And when I'm talking about, even if they're two autistic kids, yes, there's a dynamic mm-hmm. there of communication, like um, mm-hmm. um, Coach Menachem was saying, that is so important. So we really have to highlight. We can't ignore. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand why that shouldn't be the first question a parent. Sometimes it is when they don't get along, right? But but it should be highlighted that the that the sibling could do enormous be enormously helpful to the autistic kid. All he has to do is know what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. Just one other thought about. Uh, a, a father or the mother on the spectrum, usually the spouse is not on the spectrum that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So now you have a real burden. You have a spouse is on the spectrum and there are problems between you and, and, and the spouse. Mm-hmm. And now you have an autistic kid. So I'll tell you, let me tell you a story. Um, this, this kid, 10 years old, she, she would cut herself, like with a file folder. She would sometimes be self-destructive. And I arranged with the mother that this kid could call me anytime, day or night. Mm-hmm. She calls me nine o'clock at night and I meet her at the, the diner. Here I am with this 10-year-old kid, nine o'clock at night. Um, and, um, and here's the issue. Here's the issue that she, this kid's on the spectrum. Her brother is not on the spectrum. Do you know what a potch is? A potch when you potch? Okay, okay, good. I'm glad you know what a potch is. Or else I'm talking to the wrong audience here. Okay, so when the boy does something wrong and the father potches him, the kid says, all right, I did something wrong. I messed up. I'm I'm not gonna do it again. When he potches the girl, you know what the girl says? 
how could somebody who loves me hit me? My father doesn't love me. Whoa. I bring the father into my office. You would think this is a five minute conversation telling him that. You know, you, go ahead, you can do what you want. I'm not here to parent, tell you to parent. You can do what you want, but just know that your child has already decided you don't love her, right? And there are other reasons why her mother does, didn't love her and now she's hurting herself, right? It took 45 minutes for him to take ownership of the, of the idea that he shouldn't hit his little girl. He says, what am I supposed to do? That's the way I was brought up. Well, okay. Okay, it works for your boy. It doesn't work for your girl because your girl's on the spectrum. So it happens a lot when you have an adult that doesn't kind of get it. They, they need to be on board. They need help too. Thanks for the question. Yeah, you're on. Next question, Robert. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, I have a child who's turning three and he just, he has a few different like issues. Um, I didn't yet get a diagnosis for him, but I was wondering if you would be able to tell me what the biggest red flag there for an autistic child. Um, like how would I know if he's autistic or not? I'll give you a very simple answer, speech. Speech. Now, all right. Let me tell you a little bit about early language development. Uh, you want to hear a little substantial answer to that? Yes. Um, the question is, does he, how does he talk? Does he have single words? What, what kind of language does he have? Let me ask you that. So it happens to be he's like got evaluated um, for EI and he did get, he was eligible for speech which his speech therapist actually, you know, she keeps on getting back to me and telling me that- Oh, look, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you because we might have 40 questions. Just tell me about his, does he, does he speak in full sentences? Yes. Does he, when you go on a wonderful trip, does he come back and, and explain what, what he did to a spouse that wasn't there? It's a beat, a spouse? A spouse, like, like, like your husband- oh, oh yeah, you're saying like that? Um, could, you speak about what happened in the past he could tell me like oh it was scary or it was fun you know like a two a two-word answer he won't like you know rehearse oh i went down the slide and it was so much fun something like that you know okay well that's that's all good i'm not going to say what i was going to say about early language <laughs> um because i'm thinking of early language where a kid didn't speak really in, in full sentence and back and forth he could have a back and forth conversation. Yeah, it happens to be interesting. A lot of times when I'll ask him a question, I'll repeat my question. Like if I ask him like, um, you know, where are we go? We're going to the park, where are we going? He'll go, where are we going? You know, he, he does do that a lot. Like I'll ask a question and I know he'll repeat the question back to me. I don't know if that's uh, anything, but. Okay, now we're getting to an autistic kind of characteristic. When, when a kid will answer the last thing that, they heard. And there's a trick that I probably most of you know, if, um, if I have popcorn and a piece of paper, I say, do you want a piece of paper or popcorn? He may say popcorn. But I say, do you want popcorn or the piece of paper? He might say piece of paper because the last thing he heard. 
In other words, he's repeating right. something without thinking and answering. So, but he'll tell me the pop word. Can I I'm just sorry, add, I just add something? Is um is your concern more speech related or your or your concern more with his social? Because you know, when our questionnaire, a lot of seems a lot of people had more of the concern with the social. So he definitely has social, like one-on-one, he's fine, but like in a classroom setting, he's not. He's super impulsive. I'm going to say something that, because um, the, the poll, I'm so glad you did the poll, because uh, I think when you have 18%, a low, very, very relatively low, low number of people see their kid having sensory issues, I just want to mention that almost, well, I got this from my co-author who I'm writing another book with, Marsha Eckerd, one of the leading psychologists in the country. She says, 100% of kids on the spectrum have sensory issues. Like, I, I can't say 100%. In other words, there's at least one sensory issue. He's extremely sensory. Are, what's that? He's extremely sensory. Right. And my idea is, and I could be wrong, what do I know about this? But when, when, when people aren't, say, 18% sensory, I'm saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe people are not aware of it. Maybe the kid himself or herself is not aware of it that there are sensory issues there that could really affect their behavior. Some kids need to move in order to listen. Think about that, sit down and listen. And the kid actually can listen better when they, when they are kind of moving. It's very, it's very common among the autistic population. So then what happens? You have, now the, the teacher says you have to sit down or I'll give you, you know, a reward if you sit down and sort of forcing the now the kid, yes, now the kid is sitting down and not moving, but all the concentration is going to not moving and they're definitely not listening to what the teacher is saying. So when I hear this kind of behavior issue, the very, I mean, there are so many different answers and Nachum will have his take on it, but I just want to bring up something that people may not be aware of. The sensory issues may play a huge part too much noise, too many lights. Um, they may need to sit in a different spot. They may need to sit in the back of the room because the front of the room, they're too anxious. They may have to sit in the front of the room because the back of the room is, too, you know, whatever it is, right? Especially with three-year-olds, um, you need to see, and you're, you're saying, okay, I finally hit on something about your kids. So forget about the, we'll save the early language for another question. But you have to examine these sensory issues and not like the kid has to adapt. We have to do some adapting ourselves in, in an environment that's going to be healthy. I'll just quote, quote, paraphrase Simon Baron Cohen, who's one of the, the gurus of, of autism. And he's not always right, by the way. He said, um, think of it as a, um, a, 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 a kid who's a saltwater fish. There's the classroom. And... And the teacher says, okay, you're not behaving, you're moving, you're moving. Okay, take a break, go to the back of the room, go to another classroom, you know, calm down, right? You know, go to the fresh water, you know, where, you, where you're comfortable, and, and then come back. Well, you, coming back is still salt water. He's still going to be uncomfortable in that environment unless you, you change the environment, you know? Now it's the kid's fault. He came back, he had a break, he comes back, he's still uncomfortable because he's not 
it's not, he's not comfortable because of these sensory issues. We're just not aware in general. It, it, we're just not aware of this. So I just want to point that out because that's sometimes a very easy thing to deal with. Um, parents know it. And, and last question for you. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't pronounce your name, KLK. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, now, um, you're aware that your child has sensory issues. Are the teachers aware of these same sensory issues? I just know he's sensory. I don't really know what that means. And I'm trying to, I, I'm working with the OT to try to like, you know, they're just giving me different tools and like. But he's going to a preschool. He's going to some school. He's in a center. daycare. Okay. Are the people in the daycare aware of these sensory issues? I think we know the answer to that. I mean, honestly, they're the one who like initiated my whole evaluation, but they don't know how to deal with it. And nor are they really going to deal with it because he's one out of 20. Okay. That's kind of my point, that not only do you need to be aware of it, we can't depend on the kid, three-year-old kid, to say to the teacher, oh, excuse me, you know, those, those fluorescent lights are really bothering me. I mean, like, you know, but but we all, you know, the system. I don't know what triggers him either. Like like what you were saying, like, it could be a, noise, it could be a funny sound. I don't know what it is. Well, that's what I'm saying. We have to understand it, and everybody has to understand it. And maybe something, a lot of kids have so much anxiety when they walk into a school, a lot of kids, so much anxiety, all ages, teenagers. And we have to see like, where is this anxiety coming from? And it might be a, a sensory issue that may be relatively easy to fix if we're aware of it. We could take another question. Can I just add something to that, Rob? Of course. Yeah, no, Rod, I think, no, I really like how you clarified that with the sensory issues. And that's really goes into the theme of <coughs> understanding the misunderstood that people don't always understand what the kids need. It's something simple, like the, the lights bother the kid and, you know, we don't know what it is. And then, you know, you could try, try to be strict with the kid. He's not listening. He's not behaving. And it's just, and the kids like feels just totally misunderstood. Um, so the other point is that I don't know if you'll how much you'll agree with me, Rob, but I think of like, you know, autism, you know, we don't know exactly what autism is, you know, it could be many different things, many different sources, many different causes, but, you know, you know, sometimes people get the diagnosis because they want to get, you know, certain kind of services, you know, sometimes, you know, falls into something that people typically look at as autism, sometimes it's different, but there's some social difficulties, communication difficulties, really, you know, you know, somebody feels like their kid is not getting it, not picking up what he should be getting. He's sort of falling through. He's not successful. He's not thriving. Don't want to look for some kind of help to get that kid um, to really give him what he needs. You know, no matter what exactly you're going to call it, you want to find that help for the kid. Thank you. Right, let's go to the next live question, guys. Unbelievable. Here we go. Okay, you're up. Hi. Hi. So I have a... 24 year old son, um, he, it took us a long time for us to figure out that he, that he had um, the autism. He was in like 10th grade by the time he always struggled, but like he was enough that he was high functioning enough that we didn't, um, was, weren't able to get him any of these type of helps, ABA or anything like that. Um, and now he's struggling. He can't move on. Um, he actually has also OCD, which I have recently spoke to a developmental psychologist who said, actually, it's actually a source of 
the autism because the autism helps him to be so focused that he can't even that it's stopping him from functioning. So I'm struggling to find him any type of resources to help him, you know, because he's not he's over 20, he's 24. So it's very hard to find options to help him. I'm in New Jersey and I just we're just struggling for ideas of how to help him move on with his life. He's smart, he's capable, but he's high functioning autism, which was interesting because the way he put it was the, the psychologist was saying he's high functioning for autism, but he's low functioning for other people. So we keep expecting him to be, oh, he's high functioning. He should be able to keep up with what we're doing, but we still haven't quite figured out how to like help him in a way that will help him be successful. Great question. And I'm, and I'm so glad you're representing the like the post-college years, because that's a, that's a, a, a those people are just to- ignored by the, by the system. And once you're out of the public school system, there are very few services. And then what happens, I mean, you, I, I mean, you, you know this, and, and, and I, I know I'm not surprised, but, you know, you have a kid who basically wants to leave home. He wants to be independent. You know, I'm, I'm smart, I could be capable, I'm tired of living with you. I'm just saying that's the norm that I've seen over and over again. The parents kind of want the kid to leave, but you know, there's, it, it's not working because he doesn't have those, you know, independent Life skills, skills if you want to. Yeah. So, so I'm going to ask you a question. The most important question is, what is he like? Because for him to move forward, he has to be engaged in something. You know, so it could be, you know, what, what is he, what is he like? I mean, he, he likes cars and he's very good with computers. Those are the two things that he's, you know, are his focus, you know, everyone talks about like they have their focus. So he's great with like, he could, you know, pick up phones and do that. But the problem is he doesn't have, he can't all the, and you know, it's interesting. You were talking about the sensory and I never put it together that that's the sensory. He has the sensory because like, he doesn't like certain things and the sensory is stopping him. He's so concerned about like he can't sleep at night because it's too noisy for him and all that stuff. He can't function because he's so stuck by the sensory, you know? So like we, cause we never got him all this help. I'm like stuck now. We're not going to, no one's going to give him ABA now and no one's going to give him sensory, you know, and all that stuff. It's just blocking him from, from moving on. I mean, really, he says he can't get it done because he doesn't get a good night's sleep because everybody wakes him up. And, you know, like it's all these type of things. Okay, I want to ask you a question. I mean, it's it's hard. We, you know, we're in front of 200 people here and I've done this right. with 200 people live. I, I would do the same thing. And that is, um, I'm locking in on the idea of obsession because I think, and this is just my personal experience, that of all these autism traits, I think this idea of inflexibility and obsession, which is part of the definition, repetitive behavior, right? We, mm-hmm. we know that. I, I, think that's, I think that's even more fundamental than even, and I'm going to get in trouble for it, even, even from the social part. I think this is in being inflexible, right. I think is more fundamental. It's just my personal opinion from experience. So I'm, I'm kind of, I just want to ask you one question about this obsessive kind of thing. Now, just play with me a little because we can't have a two-hour conversation. He's interested in cars. I'll tell you what I did personally. Twice a week for two years, I would go to my local mechanic and watch him work. I find that fascinating. When he says, could you hold the light 
so I could see what I'm doing in, in um, changing this oil filter. I loved it because then I could see what he's doing, you know, and I, I learned how to, how to do ball joints and all kinds. I, I just found it fascinating learning about cars. I'm a hands-on kind of person. I don't want to just read it in books. Now, here's my question. Again, play with the idea. If he was interested, he said, he said he's interested in cars. If he, if we arrange, if you arrange him going to the mechanic a half an hour a week, whatever, and just watching him, or, or he can't help. There's an insurance, you know, issue. He can't really help, but just watch the mechanic, maybe hold the light for him while they're changing the brakes. Just watch these guys. Here's my question and just answer this as best you can. Would he display his obsessive behavior? Um, I don't know. Um, okay, I don't know is a good answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a great. It's yeah. a great answer. Here's this kid, kid, 24 years old. You know him his whole life. I ask you a question. You say I don't know. I love that answer because <laughs> what I'm guessing. And I guess that if you, since you don't know, I have a 50-50 chance of being right. When he's engaged with something, all of a sudden, this obsessive compulsive behavior is not there. Isn't that interesting? Or it may no. not be there. May not be there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I find that fascinating. Where is the obsessive compulsive behavior? When he's engaged with this mechanic holding the light when he's when he's watching the brake job done. Right. So you think that's yeah. So here's my, you know, answer or response to you and a lot of other people. Engagement is just like the example of running. Engagement is the key to have these kids significantly change who they are and what. And, and I, I say, who, you know, why I say who, are they, who they are. I'm working with this 14 year old and he gets what I'm trying to do in terms of changing the way his mind works. And he says, I know what you're doing. You're changing my personality. Mm. I go, well, you know what I am. <laughs> the way I am. Because right. when you, when you, he, he his father was a locksmith, so he would, you know, not break into the bank, but he would, you know, open the bank's door and clean. That's his job to to clean up the bank. So he would go go into the bank, and clean, and then he would watch TV for two hours at, in the bank instead of doing his job and getting out. Um, but, but uh, you know, I got him, I had, you know, he figured out a way that he could just do his job. And he said, you're changing my personality. And in a way he's right. We want to change his, his nature, his obsessive nature. And mm -hmm. this called it personality. And that's what Nachum and I are, are doing. Yeah. yeah. Can I add to that? Because I, I was thinking this, the same thing, but I couldn't have said it as well as you, um, that um, I'm going to be doing... I'm planning to start writing articles in the voice um, of Lakewood. This is a, a Lakewood, um, for those not from Lakewood, it's a Lakewood um, magazine, it gets given out. So, you know, a lot of the articles. Oh, okay, thank you. And yeah, and if anyone wants to send me an email, I can send them the article, you know, when um, it's gonna come out Pesach. So a lot of the work that I do with these boys, you know, and, and I have Rob that guides me, you know, one of the first stories I give is a boy and, you know, he has different difficulties. He's not getting along with the boys in his class. You know, there's, he doesn't, you know, he does things that they, that get them disgusted, annoyed, and he said he doesn't have any friends. 
And the first thing that I do with him is I find something that will really get him excited. Try to figure out what is going to get this kid excited, what's going to engage him. And, you know, and I, I myself like woodworking. Um, you know, I do woodworking myself and I, you know, and I, I spoke to him about it and I saw that's something he'll really love. So I said, okay, great. We're going to do a whole project, a woodworking project together. And just doing that already, you know, before we went on to the cognitive therapy of Rob, just doing that already, you know, transforms the kid. The kid already, he's engaged. He has some connection. He's excited. He, he feels like, you know, and that's really what Rebusher, Rebusher, um, I really, you know, appreciate again, you know, the, when he sets up the show, um, Rebusher and Coach Menachem, are, I, I think it's such a successful program because they try to find people that have a passion, people that, you know, they've worked, you know, many years to, you know, on a certain, a, a certain thing, a certain topic, and he gives them this platform to really share it and discuss it, and that's why it's so powerful. So really doing the same exact thing with these kids, find out what is this kid's real passion? What is he really excited about? And once he's in his excitement mode, in his passion mode, he starts to open up things that were bothering him before, like obsessions just aren't the same. You know, I'm not saying we, there's not work to do on the obsessions, but it's just not the same as it once was. So that's really like the first key to really helping these kids is to tap into something that they're really passionate about, really excited about, and, and that goes together with trying to understand them, understand who they are, connect with them. That's, so that's- um, You should that's know that when he was- Malka, well, yeah. I have to add something. This is really important. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. The idea of woodworking was the blessing for me working with Nachum and, and, and the kids. Because, I mean, when he's building a stender with, with somebody, you know what a stender is? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, See, Usher's not listening to my jokes. I don't like this. I got a problem. I have a problem. Uh, and that is- I was like, therapist. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, but, you know, here they're building a stender. Okay, it's one thing to do it, but then we want to add something. What should we do with the stender? And, and you know, the, the key for this kid is to, the idea that he's not the only one in the world. Everything is not, you know, geared towards him. Right, Rabbi Manasov bought the wood. Help, you know. He, you know, it's you know. Why should why should uh, the kid take it home? Maybe we should donate it to the shul. You know, and we. But it. Happened. We made up. We made up originally that we're gonna we're gonna present this as a. I have to change details because we can't discuss. We're gonna be presenting this. Um, we're presenting it to the rub. That's going to be uh, to the rub, and and the kid agreed, and that's what our project was initially. And then all of a sudden, he loves to have the stand this going. It looks beautiful. He's so proud. He's so excited. He's like, I'm keeping it. Mm. Wow. Right. So now, which is perfect, because now we have. I love this. I love when there's an issue because now we have an issue to work with, and here's the key. Here's the key. And I don't know how to say this or explain it. But the key is for the kid not to do it, not to not the behavior of now he's going to give it to, you know, and, and it's the right thing to do. And now you're going to do this. And we check that box off. Isn't that nice? No. The key is that he has to take ownership. He has to want, right? Whatever that means. He has to want to, and be proud to give this to the um, the principal or the or the 
or the, or the rev in charge. So um, that's the key. The key is that the child has to take ownership of whatever change we, we want him to have. He has to take ownership of it. Then it's coming from within him. If it's not coming from within him, then what's the alternative? Then he's listening to us. And that, that's not change. Then that's not change. I'll, I'll, I mean, can I? Rob, can I add something? Can I interrupt you now? Yes, you can. Guys, 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 you... I want to pause because I have a lot more questions. I want to cover more, so okay? He's okay. interrupting both of us. Now, can I say this one more thing? Because this is really, I think, going to answer a lot of questions or make a point for a lot of the, what goes on. This is an issue. The kid is not behaving. He's not um, doing what we want him to do. We want him to give the stender to the rav, and he's not behaving. He's saying, I'm not keeping it. So if we're going to look at it like, okay, he's not behaving. We've got to change the behavior. We're sort of using all our energy to try to get the kid to change the behavior, and then we're missing out. Like, this is a beautiful teaching moment. Like, this is the rav's approach. Like, wow, we could really now try to challenge him and get him to really think about Instead of just trying to change his behavior, let's use this as a real teaching moment. So instead of being frustrated by these not behaviors, we could, you know, say, wow, let's embrace it. Let's look forward to these things that now we can maybe teach the kid something that he didn't know before. And he might be able to now learn it for other things in his life. That was important. Thank you for the interruption. Hey, amazing, guys. Let's go to the next live question. You're on. Um, hi. Hi. So I have two questions. Uh, my daughter, who's well, she was diagnosed at 14 with ASD. She's 15 now. And the doctor diagnosed her. And this was like, it was a long, painful process to get to the bottom of it because it was like sensory processing disorder. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's she's just a normal teenage girl. You know, we got like everything. And finally, we found a doctor who looked at her and he looked at us and he's like, it's as clear as day, this child is autistic. And like everyone in the room just like exhaled because everything made sense. Like everything, all the signs, it's just, it was like so clear. So first question is, do you find that, cause the doctor said only recently are girls starting to be diagnosed because it's presented very, very differently than boys. Um, so that's number one. And the second thing is, since her diagnosis, you know, she was like, oh, I'm not weird. I'm autistic, you know, and she really just owned it. And she's super creative. This is one of her paintings in the back here. And, you know, as you know, like the, the hyper focus, she'll go into her room for hours and come out with six. I mean, we can't keep we're supporting the canvas in, in industry and the acrylic paint industry, just, you know, helping her. And she writes all these graphic novels, very similar to Dogman. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but um, you know, pretty much telling the story of like an alien living on Earth and trying to learn the rules and trying to learn the language and trying to be friends with all the Earthlings. And you know, she wants to write these books for kids like her who feel, you know, we have a we have a dog, and she says she his name's Waffles, and she says sometimes she feels like Waffles at the Shabbat table who, you know, he's not allowed to come to the Shabbos table, but he doesn't understand that he's not allowed to. And what did he do wrong? And, you know, like she just, it's amazing how she's so aware and she's so able to communicate her experience being autistic. 
And then the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, since her diagnosis, she got like a zillion services under the sun, like you name it, she got it. And she came to us, she has an amazing school, a regular school. And she's like, mommy, why are they trying to fix me? Like they think there's something wrong. They think I'm broken. Why are they trying to fix me? So I would love to hear your thoughts on anything I said. A couple of thoughts. First with the last thing, it's like, um, why do you want to change me into a dog? Why don't you just be the best cat you can be? Right, because that's what's happening. And this is common. I mean, this is, I could show you the, this, um, this poster that's in part of the autistic community. So everything you're saying is incredibly common. I want to hop on something that is incredibly important for, for girls and women. You say it's only recently diagnosed. I'll tell you why it's re only recently diagnosed. Um, the person, again, Marsha Eckert, who I'm writing a, a, a book, co-writer for, for our next book, um, she is an expert, maybe the leading expert in the country on women and girls with autism. And if you look at the stats, it's like four times more boys than girls. It's, it's not true. I can just tell you definitively it's not true. Girls have learned something. They learn what she calls masking. Masking. You know that, camouflaging, right? Yep. In other words, the girls would learn how to act so they look typical, no. right? And, yep. and that's probably true with, with your girl too. So they, yep. don't, they don't get diagnosed because they, they pass. They pass as typical. But, and, I, and I'm just saying this, uh, that girls will have more suicidal ideation because they're living their lives that's not them. It's not their authentic selves. They're not right. authentic, you know? Right. So she was so you, excited about the diagnosis. So everything you're saying makes so much, she was like, oh, like that's what it is. Nebuchadnezzar, she allowed to interrupt me. We have to get this clear. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's just a joke. I'm kidding. It's my Jewish sense of humor. Okay. I'm glad. But you're right. You're right. You're right. It's just a, just a little joke. Um, but yes, it's just, you're bringing up something that's so critically important. In fact, we want to hear a story from, from the book that we're writing. We're getting voices of people like your, your kid and maybe your voice. No, no, her voice in terms of she sounds like she has a story. She wants the world to hear. And, um, and, and we're taking those stories and putting them into a book. And that's how critical this idea is. And when, when you say, rec oh, recently died, you know why it's recently diagnosed? Because of Marsha Eckert and her writings, you know? And, and it's just totally overlooked. And we, as a society, we're creating girls, especially if not being their authentic selves. And I was gonna say that's a sin, but I, 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 yeah, I would get in a lot of trouble saying that's a sin. But it's really, it's really a shame that that's what we're doing as a society. You, you would agree with that? Yes. Go ahead. You could interrupt. I'm sorry. I'm scared if I'm going to. Yes. I agree. <laughs> I was just kidding before about being interrupted. I know, but you scared me. <laughs> Yeah, and also I like this beautiful paintings, like just like 
instead of trying to, you know, make her be like everybody else, let her be, you know, appreciate her artwork, appreciate what she could do. And she has so much to offer to the world that maybe a regular typical kid wouldn't have to offer. And that's really like the, the uniquely normal. Like if we could value what the what what someone with a twisted person has to offer, you know, there'll be a whole different kind of life for them. You know, they'll be valued, they'll be appreciated, they'll have what to connect with the with other people with. And it, that's really, you know, understand what they're unique, what they have to offer instead of saying you have to be like everybody else. You see, she's over the hump. I don't want you to be scared. She got over the hump. And why I'm saying that, she has a perspective like, hey, it's not me. It's the rest of the world that screwed up. What do they want to fix me? I'm okay the way I am. Right? And that's why I can I can say this. But the kids who are just immersed, right? Who have they haven't they haven't figured that out yet. And it could be kids, it could be teenagers, it could be people in their 20s. They they keep on saying what's wrong with me because everyone's telling me what's wrong with me. So your kid is that's what I'm saying. Your kid could reach out and help the rest of the world. Rob, I have a question. Is it always that way that they feel liberated when they find out? Or many could have the opposite effect. They, they can get depressed and they're like, oh man, now I can't be like the rest of the world. I'm just wondering. Well, well, that's a great question. I'll tell you, I'll be personal. I have, a, I have a child, a kid on the spectrum. And he didn't know it until graduate school. He met this woman and his girlfriend called me up and she said, do you know your kid is on the spectrum? I said, well, I knew since he was three years old, but now he's going to know. Because as a father, I don't want to get, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I didn't, I didn't really trust our educational system. Okay. So I'd rather fill in for him and, you know, help him along the lines, help them with jobs. You know, he would get a job. The hardest part of his job was getting lunch for everybody. You know, because it, it's a social thing. So we went through all of that. And he did fine. He went to a great graduate school. But now, to answer your question, now, after all these years, now he's going to know he's on the spectrum because of his girlfriend. And I was asking myself the same question. Is he going to be upset with me? Dad, my dad, my whole life would have been a lot easier if I knew. That would explain a lot of things to me, you know. Or um, I don't care, you know. Who cares? I did fine. I'm in a great school program. I have a girlfriend, so it it depends. Sometimes there really is that kind of relief. Ah, uh, and a lot of times, I would say most of the time, ah, uh, you know. Now I understand. But here's the key: knowing what to do about it. Personally, I have never, ever, I've seen thousands of people, I never told a parent what's wrong with their kid without knowing what to do about it. As opposed to, like somebody asks, you know, they, they want to know if the kid is autistic, they go to uh, autistic, they go to a psychologist. Yes, your kid is autistic, fine. What do we do about it? Well, I don't know, the school will know. No, <laughs> wait, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't help. That's why it doesn't help. We need to know what to do about it. So I never tell anybody that there's something going on with their kid without knowing what to do about it. Then, then, then it's, it's okay. Yes, you have a problem, but I know what to do about it. And guess what? 
if I asked you what you want to do to be better, the child, if he's old enough and he can talk, then yes, I can help that. You know, and if you want to call it autism, fine. I don't care what you call it. Right? The Hold idea on. is to just just improve. Can I add one? Can I add something? No, to no, no, no. Sorry, sorry for cutting off. I just want to go to the next one. Sorry. Can I stick in 30 not seconds? Not now, not now. Sorry. Okay. Let's go to the next interrupting. one. Interrupting. Yes. Coach Menachem, you, you want to judge this? You're on. Let's go. Okay. I just have a lot to cover. I just have a lot to cover, Menachem. Trust me. Hi, you're on. Hi. Okay, hi. Um, so I have a four-year-old um, that I uh, did don't, I don't have any formal diagnosis. This is really the first conversation I'm having about my concerns. Um, it started about a year ago, pretty much almost overnight, I would have to say. And um, it started with terrible meltdowns. Around the time I was training him, he turned three. Um, I just spoke, you know, to uh, mention to his playgroup, Mora, to, you know, a, a neighbor that is very involved in various, she runs a therapy program, speech therapist and occupational therapy. And just like, you know, mentioned my concerns that this is like, at the end of the day, I had him um, tested for pandas, nothing showed up. Um, I had, and, and at the end of the side, maybe it was a stress from the toilet training, put him back into diapers. And after a couple of weeks, he seemed to have, stabilized, normalized, back to his happy self. Um, maybe not 100% back to himself, but enough that made me feel that that was probably the issue and we moved along. So that was about a year ago. In the past year, it's been almost cyclic. Um, I, I, I feel almost like there's sometimes something, you know, like a virus or something that kicks it off, but um, he goes into these, you know, six weeks at a time, um, where he'll get up in the middle of the night, rock, hold his ears, scream, yell, run down the hall, um, and you know, come here, go away, don't touch me, like just wh whatever I do, you know, is wrong, and it just lasts for about I'd say forty-five minutes to an hour, and then eventually he'll just snap out of it. Um, it could happen in the middle of the night with like I have no idea what starts it. Um, you know, sometimes it happens multiple times during the day, various things always, I never know what's going to make him blow. Um, you know, other than that is Clagrant Mower tells me that sometimes he'll, uh, play nicely, but sometimes he'll prefer to be on his own. Sometimes during circle time, he'll wander, wander off. And I don't know, I don't know if this is indicative of like, on the spectrum and if it is where do I go? How do I handle, what do I do with this? I have a question for you. How is he, um, with, under, with, with recognizing somebody, someone else's point of view? In other words, if you kind of make believe you hurt yourself on the table, would he, would he notice it? Would he care? Would he say, what's wrong, mommy? Or would he yeah. just ignore you? No, he will. He's sometimes like even in his fury, he'll throw things and I'll you know try to explain to him we can't throw things people get hurt and I'll say I'm sorry and then like later on in the day he'll talk about it he'll say you know like um you know he hurt me and he's sorry um okay you know so he will recognize if someone is hurt and how about playing with other kids does he have a mutual back and forth with other kids 
If someone yeah. comes over and says, I want to do this, would he go along with the other kid? Yes, yes. He could be very playful. I have you know children around his age. He has friends. And how is his language? Poor. Um, yeah. Oh, his language, no, I shouldn't say. His language is good. His articulation is poor. Um, he is getting speech therapy. Um, he does have a nice language, but articulation is a struggle. And he talks about things in the past and in the future? Yeah. So, so what's your most, what's the one thing that you're mostly concerned about? It's really behavior. Um, he's easily upset. And then um, he will be uncontrollable. I mean, he's um, not my first child. I have a number of children and, you know, I, I can recognize a tantrum. This is beyond, this is like a, 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 a frenzy, a meltdown. That's like, he, he's totally not approachable. Um, and then, you know, it could happen and like, I, I'm not always certain when and it's going to get set off, like, so. So one more question, and that is, have you ever asked his opinion? Not, not while he's doing it, like you're driving in the car and you say, hey, do you know how you sometimes become whatever word he would understand, uncontrollable? How does he see himself? Have you ever asked him that? Um, yes. I don't get a very good dialogue about it. Um, like now I started, he's, you know, this started about a year ago and I feel like he's more mature now. But sometimes like if it happens in the middle of the night, the next morning we'll talk about it. And, or I'll like remind, like he's, he's constantly hoarse, like when he, you know, because he screams so much. Um, and he'll, you know, sometimes what, like what right when he comes. Say? What does he say? So he'll say, you know, um, you know, sometimes he'll say, like after the fact, he'll say, but I'm, I'm, you know, if, if we scream, then it, it, it makes me get a headache. So we'll talk a lot about using words and he seems to like understand the concept. But that's from your point of view that he screams and he gets a headache and this and that. And, but I, but the question is, it's an interesting question. And, and this is a, like a broader lesson for, for many people. What is it from the kid's point of view? In other words, he's uncontrollable sometimes. So I want to know what it is. I mean, can he control his, his impulsivity? He might say, I don't know, something just takes over. I don't know why. You know, that's important if he just says, I don't know. You know, or he might say, I get so angry because, whoa, Really, there's something going on that you're angry about, you know that that you know. Well, maybe something could change if if you're angry about something. So if it's just like not being in control, then it's it could be a self-regulatory kind of issue. There's a whole book out by I just happened to have it here. Whole book on self-regulation. Whole book self-regulation. How to help your child breast break the. Uh, you know, regulate it. To sum up the book in a sense or two, is that number one, you need to be calm because he'll, 
if you're reacting to his re reaction or his being uncontrollable, it's it's not going to help. It's going to set him up, set him off even more. So not not to control him per se, not to react to that, but to understand like, you know, what is it? What is it? And the second part of of, of this book is when he is calm. Those times when he is happy, right? When he is calm, see if he could be aware of that. Yeah, look how you feel when you're, that's where you wanna be. That's where you wanna be. Here's the thing. He doesn't like it when he's uncontrollable. He doesn't like it when he's running down the hall all over the place. So why, why should we punish, I'm not saying you're doing this, but why should we punish or try to you know, force the kid to be, he doesn't like it, he needs help. He needs help in controlling himself. So let's understand him. See if he could understand himself. Very often the questions that I'm asking, we don't know, only he knows what's happening in his head or his body when he's just not regulating himself. So let's see if we can go along those lines that we need to find him, have a way for him to regulate his own, you know, what does he do? What does he do to calm himself down? This is so common with so many of our kids. For, I'll just give you a, a quick example. That um, this one girl would do this anime art instead of melting down, because she knew herself well enough, right? She was like 15 years old. She felt she was just melting down with this anxiety in school, in the classroom. When she does this, her anime art in the, um, on her iPad, she could just, she figured it out. You know, thank God she figured it out herself that she could, she knows, knew what to do to calm herself down. When the teacher says, oh, no, you can't do that. You have to listen to me. You can't draw because otherwise everyone could. And I'm going, wait, wait. <laughs> if, she, if you force her not to do that, she's going to be melting down like she has had the meltdown several times in the past. She needs this. You know, there's an IEP, Individualized Educational Program. She needs this. This is a calming down kind of thing you know and if you want to and, and if you have to make an exception for her then do it and and you could tell the class this is her exception right that she needs this other kids will have other exceptions so this idea of calming yourself down is so important in 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 everything that the these kids are doing whether it's a synagogue or 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 um, or a classroom or a social event, they may need to find a way of calming themselves down in any kind of social um, uh, situation. Amazing, Robert. Okay, we have another live question. You're on. Everybody's asking. Everybody wants everything out of you. Good. Let's go. You're on. Hi. So I have an eight-year-old. Um, he was diagnosed with ASD about a year ago. And he also has ADHD and ODD. And thank God he's getting a lot of services and he's in a special needs school. But one of the things that we're still struggling with um, at home is frustration intolerance. So he will, he has, um, you know, he'll get set off by something very small that's not going his way. And he immediately goes into like very, aggressive behavior, either, you know, 
growling or in your face or demanding, bullying, and sometimes hitting. Um, and sometimes I don't even know what just happened. You know, like, what did I do? What did I say? You know, um, and this also plays a role with his social relationships, you know, with his peer relationships. He does much better with younger kids or with older kids, but with his peer relationships, he he can't figure out how to navigate, you know, like, I don't wanna play the game you're playing or I'm done with this, what do we do next? And so sometimes, you know, the interactions are 10 minutes long then he's running back home already. Um, he has siblings, does he have siblings? No, he's an only child. So, um, and the other thing is that he, he can't play by himself. He has absolutely no patience to do that. And he has no tolerance for being bored. So um, I have to play with him all the time or he's on his tablet, which is you know obviously not preferable at all, but sometimes I need a break. I'm a single mom, I need a break. Um, so to try to interest him in something, I think that it's the ADHD then that kicks in where he can't figure out he can't pick something to do. He can't figure it on his on his own. He has two or three activities that he perseverates on that he will he'll always say yes to, but he always wants me there with him. And slowly I've been stretching him to be open to playing a different game or, you know, doing something other than what he would usually choose, but it's still going. Um, and overall, it makes it for a very difficult home environment so my first question is you know <laughs> what do you think I, I have tried ABA in the best it's been very hard to find a match um and it's also just anyone at all first of all and second of all to find a, a match he is very high functioning he's very highly intelligent but he's got um, also learning disabilities and he's got these other issues that I just you know, behavioral things that I just described. So we're still trying to get our hands around um, making the home environment more harmonious. And also, um, you, you know, you can kind of imagine how things go when it comes to bath, bedtime, brushing teeth, you know, transitions. Transitions are also very difficult for him. You know, like it's dinner time now, now it's not dinner time. Now we're doing the next thing, et cetera. So, so Razel. Can, uh, can I first say something about the I was gonna say, this is, we have, Nachum and I have worked with kids that have that have to get their way. I'm telling you, there. I want to give you as much help as I can possibly give you, because this is this is one of the most common things in in my lifetime working with these kids. And we had several people, students of Nachum, that that we did that we worked with just this issue. So so go ahead. Would you talk? You talk first. Okay, yeah, so first of all, yeah, I'm gonna have three articles in the voice of Lakewood about this topic of behavioral challenges. You know, hopefully, you know, there's some of the strategies that we can't get to everything, you know, that, you know, Rob, things that I learned from Rob, you know, things I put together. Um, now, regarding the ABA therapy, now ABA, you know, many people find so, a lot of success. ABA has a lot of very good teaching strategies. Um, it's one of the, you know, it was, it was found to be rated on our rating, the, you know, this forum to be the most effective therapy. But the thing is with ABA therapy that, you know, sometimes the ABA therapist gets too focused on the behaviors and trying to change the behaviors. So it's sort of the ABA therapist is coming, approaching the kid, and he needs to change the kid's behavior. 
And the kid smells it in a second. He's like, oh, you're trying to change me? And immediately there's a conflict and there's a power struggle and there's no chance of it working. If the therapist would approach the kid, you know, I want to get to know you, you know, you have so much to offer. What are you excited about? What are you interested in? Let's make a relationship. You know, then there's grounds for having a real connection and real successful therapy taking place, you know, once you, would you approach it that way? So I'm just plugging in my computer here. Um, Razel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I look, I don't know your kid, but I'm gonna speak generally and you could, you know, tell me what you think. But first of all, why a lot of these kids will play with younger kids because they get their way. The younger kids will, uh, you know, listen to what they do, they're younger. The reason they, they do well with older people because let's say adults, because it, the adults will go along with what your child wants to do. So he basically always gets his, his way. And that's why, but when he's with a peer, then he has to really pay attention and go along with somebody else. So that's kind of a general, you know, when that happens, it gives you a general sense of, oh, there's an issue here. Um, what you need to do, I'm gonna tell you what to do, all right? That's what I'm here for. Great. <laughs> You need to use yourself in a therapeutic way. And what, what I, I, when I say in my book, I say, just give it 15 minutes a day. I don't want you to go nuts. I don't, I'm not telling you how to parent. I just want to, I just, you, you're the best one right now because he asks you to play with him all the time. Fine. We need you to use this situation with him therapeutically. So um, eight years old, I don't know. Let's say you have a, an instrument a couple of instruments, right? This is your turn, then his turn. In other words, he doesn't have to get his way all the time because you want your turn. You know, a lot of these kids have trouble taking turns, understanding that you wanna do something too. Now, just from experience, when you're doing taking turns, he has to pay attention when it's your turn. He has to pay attention. He can't just go, like this, oh, oh, it's your turn. Now, I don't know his name, but you know, it's your, no, no. When it's your turn, he has to pay attention to your turn and anticipate when you stop. You know, he has to allow you to have a life. He has to recognize your feelings and what, what your needs are. So you have to use your, look, I have a great example in that manual. I'm gonna hold it up because I love this example. A kid your age, and I, I, I'm tempted to read it. We're going to get coffee ice cream. No, no, we're going to get going to the ice cream store. He tells me, I want you to get coffee ice cream with me. Now, I don't like coffee ice cream, but he likes it. So I have to get coffee ice cream. There's no way in the world I'm going to get coffee ice cream. But this is the lesson. This is the challenge. This isn't like five minutes or three seconds. This is at least 20 minutes. I'm going with, I'm, I would love to just read it to you, but it'll be boring and Rev Usher would just kick me off. But it's like, we're going back and forth, you know, hey, and, and this is what I don't do. What I don't do is say, you know, sometimes you don't like certain things. I don't do that. I want him to understand that I don't like certain, certain you see the difference. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to see the world just from his point of view. I want him to understand that I don't like, I have my, and this is what you could do as an adult, as a teacher, as a, as a parent. You have rights too. I have a right not to like coffee ice cream. That is my right. He can't tell me how I feel, right? And I could be very powerful with that in a real situation. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, and I said, I told him, you know, I like chocolate ice cream. I don't like, you know, and, and, and finally, after about 20 minutes, he doesn't say no to my getting something else other than coffee, ice cream. At that point, what do I do? I ask him, what kind of, am I going to get coffee? I need, I need him to take ownership. It's not, it's not enough for him to be okay with me getting chocolate. I want him to verbalize, you know what? You're not getting coffee, ice cream. You're getting, I wanted to hear from him. That's exactly what happened. I'm getting, and then, and then you might know, to me, I'm having fun, okay? This is just having fun. It's not driving anyone crazy. I say to him, oh yeah, okay. Now you now you agree that I'm getting chocolate ice cream. Hey, I, I, I think it's funny, but I don't know. I say, hey, why don't you get chocolate ice cream and we'll both get chocolate ice cream. He says, no, I'm getting coffee ice cream. I said, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> So that's what that's where the story ended. But here that's that's a really good example of using yourself therapeutically to having this look, it's 20 minutes took him to really change his perspective of somebody else's feelings. That's not bad. That's not bad. And you need to do something like that, or, or many things like that. And I'm saying give it 15 minutes a day, maybe. Because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not an easy thing to do, but try to stick with something like that and see his response and then get back to Nachum and myself and let us know what works and what doesn't work. Can I add something to that, Urbasher? Um, this is also something that you, Rob, I'm sure, you know, you've told me. And um, if, you, if you're not every day going to the ice cream store, I love the ice cream example. It's great. But let's say you don't have the ice cream example. You know, it, this could come and happen every day. Your kid wants something from you. He wants you to get him something. He wants you to spend time with him. So you can't, this kind of kid, you can't force him to do what you want him to do. He says, no, I don't listen to you, what you tell me. But then you can tell him, what? Well, I can't say no. You want me to do something. I'm not allowed to say no. And, and you make it joking. You make it playful. You make it fun. I'm not allowed to say no. And the kid says, no, you're not allowed to say no. And then you, you know, why can't you, why can't I say no? Well, you know, you know, once you start getting to that conversation, you get him to think instead of just demanding his, his way, he's sort of like, um, now he has to think about you. <laughs> oh, I have a few, I just, I'm sorry. I got to I have like a bunch of like potato chips in my office and first session, this is the first session. And I don't, I'm just doing what I feel is right. A person never wants to see me again. That's fine. The kid takes the potato chips and, and sits down. And the mother says, right, sitting next to the kid, you know, what do you say? And the kid says, you know, please, you know, please can I have potato chips? And what do I say? I say, no. I say, no. If he's asking a question, why can't I say no? Why is, why? I mean, what's going to happen when the kid's 14 years old and wants a car? Everything is yes if he says, please. That's ridiculous. Just says please and and he could get anything he wants. I say no. 
And I go on explaining to the parent that, you know, he if he's asking me a question, he has to understand that the question could result in a no. And that's where peers come in. Peers that only, peers do not say yes, yes, yes. So are you, are you losing a relationship? You want to connect first. Don't do it right away. Oh, okay. I like this. I, li I like this. So, it, so, oh, so wait. So, in order to have a relationship, I have to say yes to every child. The child's not coming back. Doesn't want to see you again. So oh, okay. Uh, well, well, I okay. Let's let's go on with another example with Nachum's the fish story. He had a kid. I want to go to the pet store. I want to buy fish. And 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 we what we told the kid is said, wait a second. We have to know how to take care of the fish. We just can't buy the fish because you want the fish. We have to stay and listen to the instructions of how to take care of the fish. The kid says, no, 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 no. I just want the fish. What do we do? As a parent, what do you do? We have to be ready to say, to walk away. It's okay to just, you know, it's like, it's stupid to get a fish if you don't know how to take care of it. So like, all right, we'll come back when you're ready. To listen to how we take care of it because it's ridiculous you know it's 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 like all right talking about pleasing kids. Well, can I, wait can i just put in one point for, i'm sorry one point for coach menachem what you start, off, you start off with something that the kid really likes so like you have that in the back like there's something really exciting that you've brought in the first time he really is excited for that thing so it's not the first thing that you tell him, no, you can't have what you're asking for. He knows there's something exciting that you do have, and he's going to look forward to coming back for that. Like, Rod, like the first thing you offer the kid is the gold, the gold, um, the gold bar. Right. So I believe you have to have a relationship. And once you have a relationship, you can challenge it and he should understand. Well, you're right. I, I, I feel I have 10 minutes to establish this rapport. Beautiful. I have 10 minutes to have this trust between me and, and the kid. And that is, that is the number one issue. Here's a, a question that came in. It's a, going back to the beginning, let's see, as parents, we're concerned about our child's social skills. Our child avoids friends and never interacts with them after school. So the real question is, would you say, is, is that a red flag for autism or maybe it's, he's not in the mood of playing with anybody ever? What strategies can you suggest to help our child make friends and learn to socialize better? I mean, that might be the most important question yet. Because if we can get a kid who doesn't have friends to have a genuine friend relationship, then if you think of the definition of autism has to do with socialization, if we can do that, and I'll often say, if a school could take an entire year, and that's the only thing they did the entire year, to develop, a, to develop a genuine mutual relationship where kids genuinely like each other, they see each other. I'm thinking of a, a, a friendship, they saw each other every week for two years until one of the kids you know, left town. Um, then he's not so autistic anymore. That's the definition, definition of autism, not having this friendship or socialization. If we can do that and only that for a year, that would be just wonderful. So let's see what doesn't work. Usually uh, going bowling, great. It's a, it's a great social situation. 
the thing is, these kids have been in these social situations month after year after year. The kid's 13 years old and doesn't have any friends. We just can't, we have to intervene is my point. We have to do something about the friendship issue. We can't just leave. Yes, they're gonna go on a trip. They're gonna do this. It's, it's not happening without some kind of intervention. So number one is that, well, I'll tell you what I do. I'll go into a social situation, a classroom, a, a place where people eat, a work situation. And it's, it's not hard to do this in, in, in your community. And, you, and you've, you've done, I know you, you've, many of you have done this many, many times. You say, that kid is a good match for my kid. Okay, don't leave it to chemistry. That kid is a really good match for my kid. And 90% of the time, well, maybe 80% of the time, that match is not a kid on the spectrum. Why should a kid on the spectrum socialize with other kids on the spectrum? I mean, I don't know. That doesn't, oh, it's not always the best, you know, match. So then if you have that kind of match, then you could facilitate this kind of togetherness. Um, sometimes a child's not ready for a friendship. They're not ready for this mutual relationship. What does that mean? They're not, they can't, like the, the, uh, the, the, the last call, the last call, the last person, they cannot see something from another person's point of view. That's a cognitive kind of thing that, that we learn when they're two, three years old. If you can't see something from another person's point of view, it has to be your way, your way, your way, you're not ready for friendship. So I have a series of, of videos to show these two kids, neither one of them were ready for a friendship and helping each, one, each of them be ready for friendship. And then they became the best of friends for two years. Um, so we need to see if they're ready and then we need to think of a good match. All they need is one friend. <laughs> And then we need to facilitate that match. It's, it may be the, the most important part of what we can do with these kids on the spectrum. So can I add to that, um, that um, when, I, when I'm working with, the, with, with, with boys like this, you know, they, you know, they need help having a friend. And, and, and many times it's this issue that what you're saying that they can't see something from another person's point of view. So they'll just wanna do their thing and they, and they can't get along with somebody else. They need to have it their way, do their thing. So I start off with the relationship being with me and the child, and I have to work together with the child that I'll have the first relationship with him, and I know how to deal with it when he doesn't get what he wants and how to challenge him. And he starts opening up to having a relationship and to enjoying that back and forth, you know, with in, 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 the, in the therapy, in the context of the therapy session. And once he's starting to have that, you know, you can, you know, and, and you could also come up with some interesting, um, something that's really exciting. What I do with the kids, he doesn't want to have a friend. He doesn't want to invite anybody over. He just wants me to do something with him. So I'll, I'll say, okay, we do some really exciting project, but you have to bring a friend along, pick a friend. And then, you know, and then to want to do it, he has to find some kind of friend and he gets that friend to come along. And then I can start, you know, challenging him to work together with the friend you know, and then as time goes along, he gets used to having that friend with him and he actually enjoys just being with a friend and then I could take myself out of it and they could go on their own and do stuff together. But it's it's so much pressure for him to have a friend. 
So I'm not pressuring him to have a friend. You know, he doesn't I, want. He wants to do it himself. He wants no. So every every human being wants social. They want that social relationship, that social interaction. But he's he's stuck that he can only see his way. So he's missing out on that. But once you can help him overcome that obstacle and start to you know realize that he can think about somebody else and enjoy that. Once he can taste the enjoyment of a friend, he can start expanding that to be friends with you know somebody else, and it starts to grow. But that's a good point, Coach Menachem. I was in a school and this kid sitting by himself. It's a circular table sitting by himself. I go to the teacher there and I say, well, why is he sitting by? He wants to be that way. He wants to be alone. He has every right to be alone. Okay, so he's alone. But are you saying, the teacher, you know, that means every single day of the entire year, he wants to be alone. Maybe there might be a time when he will accept another human being sitting at that table. You know, maybe we should try that. Maybe we, we want to respect his wanting to be alone, but we might seize the opportunity to bring, let's say, a kid in a wheelchair who can't fit in, there's no other place. Oh, okay, you know, there's no other place for this person to eat. Just We're just going to put this person here and walk away. We're not telling him to talk. We're giving him the opportunity to say something to, to another human being. So both ideas are, are correct, you know, that, yeah, the kid's entitled to be by himself, but maybe there's a therapeutic way we, we get this kid to, to reach out. And I, I do find once you start connecting to the kid, he does want, he, he starts to open up, he, he wants to have friends. I, I haven't yet found a kid that really doesn't want to have friends. It's usually he, he wants to, but he doesn't know how to do it or he's turned off from it. Mm-hmm. I want to give a very quick thing that think people are going to have fun with. Okay. And that well, is- I have a few questions we got to cover tonight. I'm letting you know. What, what's that? What was that? I have quite a few more questions I really want to cover tonight. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to take a chance and say, this is worth it. You tell me if it's worth it, Rev Usher. That how do you find out, how do you play with this idea if the kid has a, a perspective of somebody else, someone else's perspective? You take like a stuffed animal or something, you, you, you put it on the floor. You, you look out the window, you see cars, you see streets, and you ask the kid, what does that animal say? It's, it's fun because the kids I do it on with, they say, oh, he sees cars and streets. Oh, really? He does? Go down, literally go down to that perspective on the floor and now tell me what he sees. In other words, we want him to learn this idea of another person's perspective. Was that worth it? Amazing. You okay, got Rob. No, I liked it. I really liked it. Sorry. Rob, this is a great question. A child has difficulty understanding social boundaries, such as appropriate physical distance and not asking personal questions. What strategies can we use to teach our child on the autism spectrum appropriate social boundaries? That's a great question. And a kid goes to a mall, and he's going to strangers, social boundaries. Okay, think cognitively what that means. That, that kid needs to know that other person doesn't want to hear from him. That other person doesn't want to be touched by him. That other person is annoyed by what he's doing. So he has to know all that before he could 
just stop doing it. You could say, don't do it, don't go. But that's, again, that's a behavioral thing. So this, and, and people ask me this all the time. The kids that are more, the kids going to strangers, talking about movies because the kids obsessed with movies, talking to everybody. And like, it's, you know, so it's, um, so what I'm saying, if someone approaches me with that issue, I'm saying there's probably something else that's more important that we can actually have more of an effect because that kind of thing, the social boundary thing is kind of like an eight-year-old going to graduate school. It's, there, are too, there are too many issues there for them to grasp, to just say, don't talk to other people because when you know what happens, then the aunt or the uncle comes by who they haven't seen in two or three years because of COVID and the kid won't talk to the aunt or uncle because they were told not to talk to strangers. You see what I mean? That ha that's happened a lot. And now you have a, a problem with that. So instead of trying to get the kid to behave properly, let's kind of back off and look at things that can have a, more of an effect. So Rob, I wanna add something that I got from you. You know, if a kid that's, has autism, he comes over to you and he wants to offer you his half chewed up cookie, <laughs> You'll say it much better than me. And so, so you say, well, I don't want you to have chewed up cookie. You know, you give the humor and, and, and you just say it very straight to the point, very humorous. You're not insulting him. You're not telling him what to do. And he realizes like, hey, maybe people don't want my half chewed up cookie. Or like, you know, he's breathing in your face. Well, what, you're breathing right in my face. I can't, I, yeah, I don't. And then like, and, and, and you say it funny, you say it laughing and the kid gets the point and you say it jokingly and then he starts to say like, hey, maybe people don't like that. You know, that's why I can get away with the no with the potato chips because it's said in a in a fun, energetic way. No, you can't get, you. Why, why do you have to, because just because you say please, that means you have to get everything you want. That's, you know, that's that's where the-, the when, when you make fun of what the kid, you make fun of the kid's challenge and, and you're open about it and then the kid laughs along with it. like. A kid told me, um, you know, he was, he got out of uh, another kid to give him his, uh, he got an e-cigarette out of another kid, you know, you know, he's throwing things at him and finally, the, you know, he's pushing him, throwing things and the kid gave him the e-cigarette that he wanted from the kid. So I told the kid, oh, so now you're going to do the same thing to me. You're going to start pushing me and throwing things at me to get stuff out of me. And like, you know, just to joke about it with him, he realizes like, you know, hey, maybe that's not the best way to do things even though he likes doing it, but he realizes that, you know, just joking about it could, you know, it could be a powerful way of teaching the kids something. Okay, let's try to cover this one also. A child on the autism spectrum gets dysregulated from small changes in his routine. For example, a child on the, uh, on the spectrum becomes dysregulated when we have to make small changes to the schedule or routine, such as delay in planned activity or change in mealtime. We wanna find ways to help him be more flexible and adaptable when changes occur without causing unnecessary stress or anxiety? How can we teach them to be more flexible when things change? If a teacher is asking that question, it's great. Because the teacher is aware that this kid has difficulty with transitions, right? So it's a great question. Now we have, let's see, you know, let's use some of these techniques. You know, find out why the kid is, is just really kind of obsessed with what he's doing and why can he stop? And, um, and maybe he's getting mixed, mixed messages from, from the teacher. 
I don't want to always, one point I want to make, I don't want to always look at the kid as a deficit. So the teacher says, you have to copy your homework before you go to lunch, right? So he's copying his homework from the board. And now the bell rings. He has to, I haven't finished. You gave me the rule that I have to finish copying my homework. And now you're telling me I have to leave. So with the, this idea of transitions, it works kind of both ways that, uh, that there are rules. Some of these kids are so kind of obsessed with rules. You have to be careful what you say and, you, and it's not always the kids difficulty. Now, the other answer, the answer that you wanna hear is, you know, the kids having difficulty transitioning. One method that, I, that I've used with kids is have them visualize the next thing that we're doing. Just imagine stopping what you're doing and, you know, and, and, and moving on and seeing if that kind of thing may work. Have the kid buy into what the next thing is. I, there's a story in my book of uh, Raisy. I call it Daisy because they call it crazy Raisy. Um, that she wouldn't transition into anything. She'd just do whatever she's doing. And she was literally all over the place. She ran away. The counselors at Hask would run after her. They would catch her. They would, she would bite the counselors. Like she was going into a hospital setting, a full-time, not a hospital, but a full-time uh, setting away from home. She had a padded basement that she, she, she just was totally uncontrollable. So how do you teach these kids to transition? And the way I did it with her is that if she's on the swings, I asked her, what do you want to do next? Oh, I want to go play in the sandbox. After the swing, she's off. I said, no, no, no. You have, you, you're going to do what you want to do. So part of this transition thing, you want the kid to do what they want to do. And after three weeks, when the parents came for, I know it's three weeks, because the parents come to observe their kids, they look at this kid, Raisy, and she looks like a quote unquote normal kid because she's going from activity to activity to activity because she's learned that, yes, I could structure myself and it feels good. And after a while, then you could say, instead of asking her what she wants to do next, we're going to have lunch afterwards. And she'll go along with that kind of sequencing because she wants to be, these kids want to be quote unquote normal kids. They want to be typical. They don't like to misbehave all the time. So let them buy into it and have make this transition. That's the trick. It's not us getting them to transition as much as having them buy into this idea. And we can't do it without them. See, that's the trick. You're asking me what to do. There's a saying in the autism world, nothing about us without us. We need to have the kid involved to know what to do that's gonna work for him or her or they, right? That's the missing part in a lot of these questions. They have to have, you have to have that buy-in from the kid. Right, so I think that this is a good, this is a good example of, you know, Rob's approach of, you need to understand what is cognitively going on with the kid, why the kid, you know, isn't transitioning properly. The kid doesn't understand, you know, see, you know, first we do this, then we do that. If you understand what's going on in the kid's mind, what development 
they're missing, you know, you can really help them overcome that. Um, could be in some kids, I think Rob, he's at, he's asking kids that get like stuck. They're very rigid with certain things. They need things to be a certain way. They can't sort of break out of their rigid, um, fixed way of thinking. What would you recommend for that? You're asking me? I thought the I'm question asking. was coming. I'm supposed to, okay, I'll answer it, but I. <laughs> well, um, go ahead. You, yeah, go ahead. You can. Okay, I'll, I'll say something. And then, so, you know, so when kids, get, when kids are rigid and they get stuck on things, um, I don't know if this is the, the, the situation that we're talking about. You know, they need things to be a certain way and um, they need to drive home from school a certain way. And if you go a different way, they'll, they'll have a meltdown. They can't, they can't deal with it. You know, and, and then over there also, it's the issue of getting the kid to buy in. If you can just force the kid, you know, exposure therapy, he needs to be exposed to getting things not his way and you fight with him and you force him, he's just gonna, just gonna feel not understood, just get upset, frustrated. But if you, um, so I'm, I'm using your example, if you, um, you know, you tell the kid, hey, you know, there's something really interesting on that block. Why don't we just go check it out today for a minute and then we'll go your regular way. You know, you challenge them on their terms that they're more willing to accept the change. They'll start opening up to change. And then, you know, once you work with the kid, you'll start finding different ways. He's starting to play maybe a game that he never played before. He'll go somewhere he never went before. And especially if he's enjoying it, he, there's something he likes to do, there's something he's engaged in. You find these ways of breaking his pattern of getting stuck in one way of doing things and, you know, getting him to do other things also. Yeah, being stuck is almost universal with these kids. And I'll just say one thing about that that hasn't been said yet, that if a kid feels that the classmate 150 brownies and he wanted a brownie, but the teacher said only one brownie for each kid because we're gonna sell the rest. And this kid says, I just made, I want another brownie. And the kid pushes the uh, paraprofessional and he gets suspended and like, you know, for the first thing that we need to do in cases like stuckness, that we have to understand, we have to validate. I can understand that you want another brownie. Maybe we all should have two brownies. You know, let's validate these kids' feelings. They may be stuck for some reason instead of saying, okay, we got to turn your behavior around. Let's recognize and validate what they're saying and what they're feeling. They have to, if we do that, then then we can all breathe. We don't have to react and fight with, with, with the kids that are not following our agenda. Rob, let's, let's go to another question that we have. This is from a spouse. I married someone who has high functioning autism, also known as Asperger's. While we love each other, I find it challenges, challenging to improve our relationship due to our differences. My spouse often needs help understanding some of the things that are important to me. For example, when when she shares her emotions, he doesn't like it. It's a long uh, question, but I would want to know just the basic. What would you tell a spouse that's dealing with these issues? What are some practical ideas? This is so common, and I again I find this fascinating. Um, working with uh, often it's the guy, the man who is Asperger's, and the woman is is not, and like. They're, they're just being driven, each one in their own way, just being driven crazy. Uh, 
the first thing we got to step back and like take a breath and and kind of see what is really difficult for this Asperger, you know, husband of yours. What's like really difficult? And 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 let's look at that difficulty and see if we can get that. I mean, I'm I'm going through in mind several examples. He's this guy's painting the wall and he just can't attend to the detail because he's just just doing the painting and it drives her nuts. And so, all right, let's get some buy-in. Do you want to attend to the detail? How are we, how are we going to do that? Maybe we should paint one part of the wall first and look at it and look at it to make sure all the detail is, is there. You know, it's not that hard if we have, if we could just take a breath, take a look at what's going on and, and see if there's uh, these things that, that could be done. I mean, there are cases where socialization is, like, I talk about this in my book, so I could say it publicly. My brother's on the spectrum. And, uh, and you know, you may have to cut this example out, but um, so his potential, you know, wife, his girlfriend says to me, you think your brother's on, this is one, my brother's in his 60s. You think your brother's on the spectrum? I go, wait, wait, this is a loaded question. <laughs> of course he is, but like, why are you asking me? He says, look, we go to, he's a professor at Indiana um, University. We go to these staff meetings and, and parties, staff parties, and he's always in the corner. He's always in the corner. And it's driving me nuts. So she says to me, she says, look, if he has Asperger's, I'll marry him. This is what she tells me. But if he's just an ass, I'm not going <laughs> to this is what she said. Well, they wound up being married. They're married like 10 years now. And um, but this is it, see, part of part of the, the resolving the issues is she understands that he doesn't want to be with other people in, in groups. And she get, now she gets that, she accepts that. And so she'll travel to Morocco by herself, or she'll go to places by herself, and everything is fine. So it's it's a um, it's a complex issue, but it can be resolved, definitely. Did I overstep my boundaries? Um, oh no, no, Rob. I want can I can I can I can I grab one more in before we go to the closing? Before we go to wrapping up, one more. Up to you, sure. Yeah, all night. Look at you. You're full of energy. You're like a twenty year old. Okay. That's how I feel. I'm looking for some advice on how my family can better understand and interact with children on the autism spectrum and how we can promote positive interactions between them and our neighbor's child. We notice that our neighbor's child on the autism spectrum sometimes says, behaves differently than our other children and we want to ensure that our children can interact with them in a way more respectful and positive. Are there any strategies that you could suggest to help us teach our children about the, the disorder? So their neighbors, they're living next door, they see this kid is bouncing off the wall, whatever it is, they're having a hard time with it. They, they, you know, the, the kid can get upset and this and that. So they want to like discuss it with their younger children. Let's let's use the ages eight to thirteen or something like that, so they can be nice and be friendly and understand their limitations and understand how to, you know. I love that question, and I'm going to go a step further. I'm not looking for kids to be nice. You know, he has problems. Be nice. Be you know. No, I don't want to have that. I don't want to look at him less as less. I want you to look at him as different. I want you, I want this 
kid and the family uh, to be challenged with, and you may not believe me, but my friend gives whole lectures on this. I want you to appreciate this kid who is different. And that can mean all kinds of things. He can be great artist, or, great, or he might like uh, bouncing a basketball, or he just might be a fun kid to, to play with in some ways. I want you to find a way, and it's not hard, to do what I opened up with. Appreciate this kid. You know, don't feel sorry for him. Like, like um, uh, Robert Morris was saying, if he offers you a half-eaten cookie, you know, you don't have to eat it to be nice to this kid. You know, you could say no. These kids need to be said no to sometimes. So I want you to take a, the first thing I would do is say, let's, let's observe him. Let's see what he does. Let's see what he likes. Let him, oh, he likes playing with Legos. Oh, he's taking the Legos. All right. So why don't you be like a machine? Sort of, and just offer him a Lego and he'll just take it from you, right? Because he's playing with Legos. You see what he's doing? Join him, give him the Lego, right? Then therapeutically, what I do, I'll give him two Legos. Now, what does he do? Nobody knows. No one, no one, we have what, 150, nobody knows what the kid's gonna do. He may ignore the two and, and just stick with the one. That's interesting. He's saying no to those two. He could say no. You could get him to say no. I don't want those two. Whatever you know. If it's you know. So he's uh. So now you. So he's maybe he's taking those two, and then what do you do? Maybe you give him five Legos. You know, and and you play with the idea. You have fun. I want this a kid to have fun. Find this kid interesting, like I would find interesting. Meanwhile, you're kind of playing with this kid. Go along with what this kid is doing. And that's how you play with him at first by going along with what he's doing. Join him and feel, have him feel accepted and not have him do what you want to do. And that goes along with, with Coach Menachem's thing. Go along with him 100%. That would be the first thing I would do. And it's so important. And it helps the typical kid just as much or maybe even more than the kid who has autism. Because we all, as a society, like my book won award for parenting, we all has a we all as a society need to embrace this population because then we have the Thomas Jeffersons, the Da Vinci's, um, uh, who, um, who's that guy from uh, Elon, Musk, Elon Musk? Right, you have these geniuses, right, in our society that flourish. They found the way of of making it. So we, we need to embrace these these kids on the spectrum. And that's one way that we can do it. And then and I just reminded Rob, one of our first training sessions, he said that, you know, I you, you told me you have so much fun working with these kids and you know you, you don't know what they're gonna do next. And you know, and it's and that's how you're doing it for so many years. So so they know Rob is not getting tired, you know. This is fun, it's working with these kids, it's exciting and it's you know, it's engaging and it's real and, you know, and this process is, is fun. It's enjoyable. Okay, guys, it was beautiful. We, we, we barely covered half or well, maybe even less than what we wanted to cover, but this do we need to do another, do we need to do another night for that? Rather, of course. I mean, I mean, Robert, look at him. You can go, you can go another 400 hours. This guy. He's full of energy. Let's go. Bring it on. He likes it.
Okay, first of all, I want to say a big thank to Robert Bernstein and Nachum Ansel for coming on tonight, giving tremendous chizuk and inspiration and guidance. It's a very important topic. Well, everybody's texting me about information, getting hold of you. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Um, and every Sunday, I'll send you the flyer. You can go to menachembernfeld.com, sign up for the emails and all the information. Again, for anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, have this Zoom ID. Different topics, different rabbis, different therapists, different di tremendous different things. I guess somebody called me up today and said he specializes in stuttering and he wants to have a, a talk on that. I'm like, I didn't even think of that. Like, it's crazy. So we we, we play it by ear. We see how things go. Next week, March 19th, we have an amazing show with world famous Rabbi Wiesenfeld, live from Israel. He's also with Beis David, who inspires many, many Bachram. I got to know him recently. He's an amazing person. Um, the topic is going to be very powerful. In, ignite the spark of Judaism, not living robotic, and start thinking for ourselves. How to get us and our children excited and happy with the life that we have. And Robert, I hope you're going to join and be part of it because we all need that. How to ignite the spark in us. It's going to be a powerful program. Please join us. Let everybody know about it. Everything is recorded. It's going to be on menachemberful.com. If anybody has any questions from Menachem or anything, just email us at coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's sheer program is sheer 136. And uh, we'll be available on our phone lines. You can listen to it on the phone, uh, hopefully by tomorrow at 848-777-GROW. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with Robert J. Bernstein or Nachum Mansov, I'll give you their social security numbers and their addresses. You can go down to their house anytime you want. But Robert's email is rjb at autismspeech.com. That's rjb at autismspeech.com. Nachum Mansov's email address is Monsov, M-O-N-O-S-O-V-N, like Nancy, at gmail.com. You can go to robertbernstein.com. And do you want me to give out the phone numbers to the whole world? Do you guys just, do you want or no? Yeah, robertjbernstein.com. Robertjbernstein.com. Numbers, nothing you want to give out your number, Robert? It's up to you. You don't have to. It's up to you. Um, again, you could, we're going to send out the links for Robert's books. Um, he has two books, Uniquely Normal, Tapping the Reservoir of Normalcy to Treat Autism. And his latest book, Uniquely Normal Manual, Using the Bernstein Cognitive Method for Autism, both available on Amazon. Menachem will send out the links where to get them. And a special thank you to the Lakewood Scoop, Ariel, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaufman from JCN. I just want to say tonight, thank you guys for coming on and really bringing a lot of life and awareness to this topic. For the people that are dealing with it, it's real life. The people not dealing with it, they should understand it and be compassionate and be in reality understand that everybody's dealing with stuff that's why we have this program and you guys are both amazing robert i love you by the way and we're going to go to yeah, I, I, I love you and menachem okay <laughs> i love just you but anyway <laughs> uh we're going to go to closing we're going to have coach menachem first wrap it up and then mm -hmm. we're going to let nothing go quickly and then robert you can think now for 10 minutes whatever comes whatever words come to your heart after two and a half hours i'm sure you have a lot to give inspiration just to wrap things up but Nachum, short, not long. Okay, Coach Nachum, go. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Nachum. Yes, there was, was a lot of information, and for those who need it, for sure. Again, it, it could be challenging. There's also a lot of people's messages that it's not so simple. And I, I'm sure it takes time to find the right therapist, to find the right person, to find exactly what your child needs to understand. But slowly, it looks like there is some light at the end of the tunnel that you can slowly figure things out and talk their language, the language that they need. But like I started in the beginning, by these kids were forced, 
we're forced to stop, step back, take a deep breath and say, I need to figure this out. It's not working out. I have to figure out how to talk to them. But really, we need to do this anytime we talk to anybody, any relationship with our kids, whether it's teachers and parents, to really connect. Most of the time, we want them to do what we want so that we can continue, whether it's teaching or running the house. But to really connect, we need to stop, take a step back and breathe and say, wait a second, let's try to figure out and go into their world, understand what they're thinking so that we can connect. So thank you very much for tonight's session, which was amazing. And we should be able to take the practical ideas that we learned. And for, for those who need more, please reach out with your questions to Robert or Nochem. They're going to have writing up in their papers or their courses or whatever it is. Okay, Nochem, let's go. Give us a close. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Coach Menachem, Arab Usher, for, you know, for this you know, beautiful program. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Um, you know, for more information, I think the best thing would be to get Rob Bernstein's book, Uniquely Normal. You know, if someone's ready to read, it's a great book. It's very readable, very clear, great stories, very connectable. And my closing thing would be, you know, um, you know, us trying to understand these these people, these either these kids or these population. You know, I see especially with the kids. I work mostly with the kids. I feel like I change from it. You know, for me, it's a growth. For me, it's a progress. You know, having to really try to understand somebody else is a tremendous opportunity that we actually grow from. Thank you very much for, you know, for this program. Okay, Robert, let's go. Leave us with some powerful words and some words of inspiration and wrap up what you felt in two and a half hours. Oh my, that's a challenge. First of all, thank you, Rib Usher and Coach hey. Menachem. You, you're... You're a blessing for doing this. Uh, who am I to say you're a blessing? Huh? Who am I? Um, but, th but thank you for this. This is just help probably thousands of people. It's a, you, you know, you're, you're, you really are. You're, you're helping so many people. Uh, Nachum and I are, are out there to help. Um, I would just end, uh, summarize everything by saying, if you think of all the 90% of the questions, how can I help my kid X transition? How can I help my kid get a friend? And the one emphasis that, um, that I, I wanna emphasize is that nothing about us without us. We need to first accept the child, validate their feelings, understand where they're coming from, be awed by who they are and what they're doing. And, and how they're acting. And take a look at their behavior, yes, <clears throat> but see what's underlying the behavior. See how they are, see how, how their spirit is. And something that is left out of the entire program and many times schools, see if they're happy. Being happy is important. It should be a factor whether they're happy or not. So again, I, I thank every, everyone for joining and please, um, please reach out if, if we could help you further. Robert. Okay, everybody, good night. Thank you guys again for coming on. We'll see you guys next week, March 19th, 9.30. Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld, Mark Sistral, based David, same time, same place. Good night, everybody. Good night, Robert. Good night, Nachlan. Thank you.
Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.